a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. Zero Limits listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, I am joined by a bloke that was in the Armoured Corps. They're not bad. I don't mind the Armoured blokes. They gave us, you know, especially overseas and on X, they'd give us five-man ration packs, you know, the... 24, the big ones, and it's got the corn, it's got the rice now. I love it. Anyway, we're going off track already. He, um, <laughs> again, uh, spent a, a decent chunk of his career uh, in the Australian Army, again, in the Armoured Corps. A couple of deployments, Afghanistan and Iraq. He then moved into the police side of things, as some guys do. Queensland Police, I believe. And yep. However... Mental health uh, decline during that time, and I'm sure over the years within the Defence Force. It reminds me of a similar story. Had on Matty Newlands in the past, knocked off yeah. a baseball bat, and I don't know what this baseball bat was. It's fucking Babe Ruth's baseball bat. And the cops wanted to kick him out. Now, this bloke, something similar, knocked off 100 bucks on his on his decline, but he, he knocked off this 100 bucks and basically was going to buy a rope or something to neck himself with, which is fucking wild and it yep. all turned around and got better then got worse again obviously when the crime commission wanted to boot him and all this type of stuff and charge him and throw him in prison and do it uh do what they do best so we'll definitely talk about that shortly but mate jeff casson mate welcome to the show how you doing mate cheers mate it's uh great to uh finally have a chat so Keen to crack on. Yeah, mate. Yeah. yeah, mate. Now, obviously, you're the owner of the Zero Dark brand, uh, if yeah. anyone has seen it on Instagram, which we'll definitely uh, talk about uh, later on. Mate, b- before we do, before we get onto this wild story, let's get back to the younger days, mate, growing up, yep. um, you know, schooling, siblings, etc. Yeah, so um, I-, I was probably – 
pretty screwed from the beginning in, in the way of defense force and, and that kind of, and, and even policing to an extent. Um, born in Cairns up in North Queensland. Um, dad joined the army to support, to support the family. So, uh, yeah, I, I spent most of my life moving all over Australia, changing schools and that sort of stuff. Um, just following dad wherever he went with his career before finally, uh, settling in Brisbane and doing all my high school here and yeah, traveling and seeing Australia, it was just normal. So as normal as that could sort of be, um, even, even to the extent of like Christmas parties and that sort of stuff, you know, it wasn't until I was in, in high school and other people are talking about going to mum and dad's work Christmas party and, you know, there might be a jumping castle. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a jumping castle at dad's Christmas party. Didn't you guys have APCs and Blackhawks? Like, uh, no, that's that's not normal. And like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's not normal. So, but, you know, going, going to like boozer functions at dad's work and, you know, Christmas parties on base, it was, was just um, just very different, I guess. But uh, definitely lit a fire for, for later in life, that's for sure. Yeah, in, in regards to your old boy, how long was he in for? He did 23 years. Oh, fuck. It's a decent, decent job. Yeah. Yeah, so he joined late 85 mm. and got out, you know, whenever it was, I think 2009, 2010-ish. Oh, shit. Somewhere did, he, uh, did he deploy as well? Yeah, so he did like the early Butterworth trips in the, in the sort of mid to late 80s when they kind of got a gong for it. Yeah. Um, he did uh, Innofet. It was one of the, some of the first flights in with Innofet. Um, some of his stories are from landing in Dilly when the whole place is still on fire and that sort of stuff was pretty wild. Uh, he went on to Bougainville and then he went back to Timor as well. Um, now he got uh, a gig doing something with the Olympics as well. So when the Olympics was kicked off, in, excuse me, uh, in, in 2000 as well. So he had a few gigs around the place. So he never cracked that Middle East code though. So, which is interesting because he's, when he took a Sydney posting, um, he was get the option of either Sydney or Darwin to, to two cav regiments. So he chose Sydney because it was closer to, to mum. Um, I was in high school. And uh, so instead of uprooting the family and, and all that sort of stuff, he left and did like the, the like married separated kind of thing. So he lived on base at Richmond doing what he was doing and myself, mum and my brother were uh, were in Brizzy, so he kind of kicks himself. And if he gone to take taking the Darwin post, he might have got a couple of uh, Iraq Afghan trips. Yeah, definitely. He definitely definitely would have. Mate, schooling. Where would you go to school in Brizzy? All over the shop. So obviously, I started school in Townsville. Um, I did another four years in in Melbourne, two and a half years in Darwin, and then I finally finished it up. In uh, in Brizzy, so we just go on Northside, good old Bray Park High School. So yeah, yeah. yeah, so at the time wasn't the best and greatest school. And then a couple of years ago, it was like one high school of the year or something bloody thing. We're like really, like who'd you ask for that? <laughs> so it's a bit wild. Just for yourself, mate. Like being an army brat, I guess moving around. How how did you find that you know, making friends and just? A bit of stability for a young fellow. Um, you, you learn how to sort of take care of yourself pretty quick. Um, you know, kids are pretty ruthless, so you learn how to, 
so yeah, learn how to blur pretty quick. Learn how to look after yourself. You also learn how to talk. I learned how to to talk myself out of trouble whenever it came around. So like school was school. Like, you know, like a lot of dudes, I didn't apply myself a great deal. You know, especially in high school is more about the social aspects Chicks. than Chicks. yeah, hundred hundred percent. Chicks and drinking passion. Yeah, yeah. So, or, or what was it at the time? Um, Woodstock. Those those big cans. Oh, <laughs> fucking horrendous. Um, so, yeah. And then you know, joining the army. You know, the 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 real fire that got under my guts. Then it was because I'd had a couple of failed relationships, and I just wanted to get the fuck out of Brisbane. So. I'd always had in my head that I wanted to join the army since I was about three years old. Exactly what I was going to do, I didn't really know, but that's that's what I wanted to do. So and then yeah, so and into high school came and thirteen nineteen oh one send it and start the ball rolling. Yeah, now I'm sure you had the, obviously you had the influence from your old boy as well. Is there any um, I guess uh, further history, family history within the defence force? You know, world wars. Uh, my great. My great grandfather was in the Air Force. Um, admittedly, uh, probably ashamedly, I, I don't exactly know what he was doing. I don't know if he was flying sorties. I, it's got something with New Guinea. I've got, I've got a, like a suspicion of something to do with New Guinea. But um, apart from that, I, I'm not entirely sure. My old man's adopted, so um, they, we may have a, a, a separated military history there. I don't know about. As you said, you didn't really know what you uh, you wanted to join the defence force, you know, from a young age, and you had no idea what to do. Obviously, Dad's a truckie. And, yes, you know, <laughs> they're all right. They're all right. They, you know, it's funny, like, it, yeah, like you talked to Dad about some of the exercises he did, sort of back in the day, like you know, the trucks parked up and there's full cam going on and everyone's dug in and you know it, it sounded pretty war dog. And then you sort of get to, like, obviously, in my career, like, oh, that's what truckies do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, also, you know, going through training and, and through my time in the Army, you run into truckies, you have a place like Casson. Is your dad Andrew Casson? Like a warrant officer or oh, a, no a snake's talking to me. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's my dad. And they're like, he was a fucking good hand. He yeah. taught me how to drive and, you know, he was a truckie's truckie and, and even my best mate who was in transport for in the army for about 13 years, he would still bump into guys that would tell stories about my old man and like what a fucking switched on dirty was, you know, always looking after his boys and that sort of thing. Did you think about going transport or? For about 10 seconds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear that uh, you admitted it. <laughs> yeah, look, look, but it was all on you, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. Army yeah. truck. Trucks are cool and whatever else, you know, as a young, yeah. you know, especially a young boy, you know, like, yeah, it's a big truck and it's covered in Can. camouflage paint yeah. and, you know, there's a big thing in the top and there's a dude with a machine gun hanging out of the top. That's pretty rad. And then, uh, you know, we got posted to, to Darwin eventually and, you know, Darwin at the time was home to First Armoured and 2CAV and, like, Robertson Barracks was sort of just expanding at that time with 812 and, and one Sisby. Um but you get in there and there's leopard tanks kicking around and labs and one one threes and stuff like fuck. That's trucks are cool, but that's super cool. So yeah, that that was that was just normal. 
Yes. Up. So at that point when you call them 131901, did you have the army in your mind at that stage or was it just like, fuck, I'll call it and um, just see what they got to offer? Pretty much. I mean, I, I was an army tragic growing up. Like dad used to flick me the, like the old army rag, you know, bring it out from work. You know, I know you're interested in this shit. Have a read. You know, when I was working um, before I left school, I was buying myself those um, Australia, New Zealand Defender magazines oh, yeah, and yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff and like, you know, reading about Timor and, you know, what, what the cats are doing in Afghan during the early invasion and that sort of stuff or, or Iraq. So it was always super, super interested to me. It just, yeah, it just fed this this dream of, of joining the army. You know, like I said, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Dad kind of, he said, you know, I don't, I don't care what you do in defence. I really don't. Just, he said, just don't join artillery. So that was pretty much the advice. I thought, why is that? And he's telling stories of dudes standing there being like cam poles holding up cam nets and this sort of shit. Like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Cabana boys. Now, you call 13-1901, go through the process. This is in Brisbane, I'm guessing, Roma Street. Yeah. Yeah. And yep, yep. Um, you go through the process. You've chosen, obviously, Armoured Corps. And- yep. Head down to Kapuka. What year you heading to Kapuka, mate? Two thousand five. So I rang up recruiting in two thousand three, about a couple of months out from finishing school, with the intent to pretty much go to Kapuka as soon as school is finished. Um, but I'd had a, a knee injury when I was sixteen, uh, an operation, had a couple of holes in my knees. So you go and do the medical and that sort of stuff, and they're like, "Oh, what's what's this going on? You got some scars here." And, like an idiot, instead of going like, oh, no, I just fell off my bike. And it's like, oh, yeah, I had knee, had knee surgery when I was 16. They're like, uh, yeah, that's that's a no-go. So during my recruiting process, they um, they basically said, unfit for service, can't do it. Oh, did they? No go. Oh, fuck. Yeah, like big fucking no-no. Um, and I kind of fell in a heap. You know, you grow up your whole life in, in the army, your whole goal, everything, schooling, everything is, is dedicated towards – join the army like i didn't go and do physics and chemistry or that sort of shit i was like awesome to the subjects to get in the door that's that's the goal <clears throat> and so yeah to be to knock back because of this knee injury i was stumped and um you know so as i alluded to earlier i had this really sort of crappy breakup and it just lit a fire under my ass just like right this, there's got to be something i could do so i rang him up again so is there anything i can do Anything, any job, you know, just tell me. And they're like, oh, you got an appeal. I was like, well, you didn't tell me that. So, yeah, I went that back to my, my surgeon when I was 16 and he gave me another assessment. And then uh, he put me onto another one of his colleagues who gave me an assessment, wrote a report. I've got about six or seven different reports from different, six or seven different specialists. Um, even to the extent, like I did army cadets all the way through high school and – uh, went to my training officer and said, look, can you write me some sort of recommendation? He said, absolutely, and put this big package together and sent it in, went to Canberra, and um, Canberra gave me the green light two years later. So, so it took me two years to get in. Uh, but and then, you know, the whole time, obviously, Iraq's kicked off and um, Afghan's in full swing. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to miss the boat here. So, uh, yeah, hooked into it and then – so, yeah, exactly two years to the date in October of 2005, I ended up enlisting and um, getting down to Kapuka. Yeah, right. So you get down to Kapuka, mate. 
again, back to your old boy, he's already in the army, so I'm sure at home your lifestyle is somewhat regimented. He's probably, you know, whipping around, uh, you know. Uh, you'd think so, but not really. Yeah, really. Like, yeah, he, right. he, he, was, he was at like, yeah, he was Corporal Casson at work and he was yeah. dad at home. Like, not making I didn't go corners. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> fucking tragic shit. <laughs> no, like, it was like, you know, be respectful to mum and dad and your family, mm. look after your brother, um, look after your room and that sort of shit. You know, there's no like, in hostile corners or fucking stand by your beds <laughs> just, or nothing <nothing-like> yeah. like that. <laughs> just throw them, throw them boxes. Like it was like that. It was it was like that good sort of like just discipline you get. You need as I think as especially as a teenager and yeah. as a young man. So um, yeah, and, and like dad, dad like gave me the heads up about his Kapuka experience. Like dudes getting fucking butt stroked and you know, <laughs> taught me about the box room, like what the box room was all about. And it wasn't just for storing your trunk. So. I was like, oh, okay, right. So, but it was also telling me like stories from the boozer, you know, when you could buy a tray of bourbon and coke for, you know, ten bucks for your for your whole section. So, um, yeah, and, you know, he he showed me his kapuka photos from you know the eighties and you know, doing twenty clickers just to get out of kapuka and stuff like that. You know, it's just unheard of today. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I had a good sort of heads up about it all, but it was. It was still eye-opening for myself, I suppose. Like, like I said, I did army cadets all the way through school, so I, I kind of treat that like almost uh, like an apprenticeship. You know, so I had these really basic foundations of soldiering. Like, I learnt drill, I learnt nav. Mm. Had no, I had no idea about what fucking a twenty-centimeter shirt was, or smiley socks, or any of that sort of crap was. But <laughs> um, you know, that was up for the RIs, I guess. How did you find Kapuka in total? Um, it Hard, wasn't difficult. Yep. No, I didn't. I didn't think it was difficult. Like there, there were challenging aspects to it, certainly, um, which I think everyone finds like that initial culture shock, going from being a you know, just a trades assistant as what which was what I was doing before the, the army, getting up, going to work Monday to Friday, and boozing on the weekends with my mates, to um, six a.m. hook in. <clears throat> doing that, doing those discipline things like 15 minutes, shit, shower, shave, make your bed, get dressed, another 15 minutes doing doing your barracks, cleaning and all that sort of stuff. Like that that was the sort of the challenging thing. But I never looked at it as like, oh, fuck, I've got to do this again. Oh, you know, whatever. Uh, it was it was more of a case of, especially in our section, our platoon, I think it was, was pretty good. Um we were sort of challenging ourselves, like, let's see how quick we can get this done. And like, by the end of Kapuka, you're knocking out your morning routine in about 10, 15, you know, 10, 15 minutes total from 6 a.m. to through to 6.30. You know, you get, everything's done by 20 past in there. And, you know, the the turnaround for that is, you know, your RI is like, right, oh, cool. You, 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 you finish everything 10, 15 minutes early. That's yours for, for brekkie. So you're not smashing it down at the mess and, fucking making yourself sick doing PT half an hour later. <laughs> so it was, yeah, like Kapuka was all right. Like I didn't, I didn't really didn't mind it. Like one way or another, we had one guy, we had a couple of guys just wig out, couldn't handle it. They just, this one fella, he, I don't know how he got through recruiting, but he was an absolute Martian. And he, he, he would like, come you know those Kapuka jumpsuits they give you, those track suits? Mm, that's right. Yeah. So he was in, <clears throat> he, he was in my, 
a mate's room. He's like, oh, I've got to go down to the to the SALs. I need to go for a piss. Am I right to go like this? And he was from Western Sydney, so you know, take what you will from that. <laughs> and so he had like he had like he had like one pant leg rolled up, and he had his like his his trainers on. And he had like his tracksuit unzipped and open and no shirt underneath and it was all untucked. And Scott said, I don't know, Piff, you know, roll the dice and see how you go. And so he did. <laughs> and we hear this, fucking stop. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Scott's just got no idea. Like you just answer back and you know, we've got a couple of guys that, yeah, or another guy that was just super, super, super emotional, like passed out getting his jabs and, and just like you know, that, that, that one of the two, one of the two times that you're allowed in town, you know, we went and saw a movie, and you know, everyone's just like oh, sort of half falling asleep in the chair, and he's sitting there leaning forward, and he's all misty eyed, and his tears, and he's like, "Is this getting to you?" Like, no, it's, we're watching King Kong. What, what's the problem here? <laughs> <laughs> what what core are you going to again? Like, yeah, just, but but yeah, but that's that's. I guess defense, you know, it attracts all types. And I mean, unfortunately, those two guys that they didn't make it through. But uh, I'll be interested to know what they're doing today. <laughs> One of them's probably protesting in uh, Sydney right now. Uh, it wouldn't <laughs> shock me. It would not shock me in the least. Or you know, it, maybe he's even over there with yeah. a bloody red red bandana around his head, executing oh, Israeli children or something. Fucking hideous. Fucking wild. Wild mate. But uh, in regard to to uh, Kapuka, mate. Any other armored guys and your secos? Any armored secos? Uh yeah, yeah. One guy who was from Two Cav. He come down sort of halfway through. We had another guy who was a uh, a tanky. Um, so armored corps at the time was sort of broken up. You know, there was there was armored corps, but there were sort of three jobs inside mm-hmm. of armored corps specifically that offer regular. Uh, regular armor core anyway. Uh, the Chocks had their one one threes and uh, I think some Landies and what sort of whatever else at the time. Um, so, but inside armor core, you, you could sort of core enlist and you'd go down Aslav crewman, one one three crewman, the APCs, or uh, tank crewman. We had the leopard tanks at the time, so we had this guy who was down from first armored, and we're sort of talking to him and. He's like, yeah, tank, tanks are sick, chicks dig track. And I'm like, oh, okay. And are like, oh, what are you going for? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lav crew. He's like, fucking two cab, fucking rah, rah, rah. Because you know, at the time, you know, first armor and two cab didn't quite get along. Um, this is way before all the armored combat regiments came along is what they are today. Uh, but he's like, you know, just my luck, you know, I've been here and I've been to the school and I've been to Darwin and, you know, you're probably going to get a fucking trip, you know, Six months after you leave, this fucking joint's fucking bullshit. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, but otherwise we had um, we had an engineer and we had an infantry fella from I think he was from four hour at the time because there was those photos kicking him around and the other secos were showing me, oh, he's the poster boy of four hour. He's like wandering through a swamp, pulling a boat with a with a gat in his hand. So, but you know, all our secos were, were pretty good. So yeah, they 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 beasted us when we when we fucked up, but. You know, there was that professional respect. You know, so a lot of them were moving on as well after this, after the, the that the platoon that we did. Um, so a lot of them had um, got promoted and then moved on to the to their other postings, or whatever else. Now, from there, obviously, you had to IETs initial employment training, and yep. 
the School of Armour. Uh, how was that, mate? You know, going from, again, Kapuka, just basic military stuff and then moving into specific, uh, you know, driving, driving labs. So at the time when I went to Kapuka, Kapuka was, was broken into two parts. So we did a six-week, like, initial recruit training. And because I went later in the year, they gave us a break in between. We were allowed to go home for two or three weeks over Christmas. And then we had to come back and do this advanced soldier training. So we marched out of Kapuka, had a march out parade, the whole shebang. And then two days, a couple of days later, we went home for Christmas. Then two or three weeks later, we came back to Kapuka, which was just heartbreaking. And we all marched into Alpha Company. And so we did this advanced soldier training where we learned how to do different drill. We learned night vision and a bit of Raytel stuff. So by the time advanced soldier training was up, and that was about five weeks, I think, on top of the initial six, um, you know, Pakapanya looked like, you know, just this otherworldly kind of place where we were going to be left alone. And I was super keen to get to Paka. I remember sort of telling the boys, I cannot wait to get out of Kapuka and get to Paka. And sure enough, you get there and it's like, hey, guys, how are you doing? This is the base. You can't drink for two weeks. Um, turn up here, blah, blah, blah. So initial recruit training was, yeah, super interesting, super, super interesting. There's, there's a couple of phases to it. Goes for about three and a bit months, I believe. We're in like a holding troop for two weeks, um, while we had just just to wait to get into different facilities. So in those two weeks, you're learning about core history. You're learning all about the Battle of Bushiva and mm, mm. watching the Light Horsemen and that sort of stuff. And <laughs> you know, learning getting your berets, bashing your berets, and this sort of stuff. And then figuring out that berets are fucking. So much better than slouch hats for kicking oh, around yeah. work every day. Like, <laughs> Just like so cool much too. better. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Like black berets <laughs> as well. Uh, they've had a people that um, would come up to you like, "Oh, black berets? Are you black hats? You know, yeah, special force?" Like, no. It's like, oh, but it looks just looks like you like black ops. Like, no, mate. It's black just <laughs> it's just that it's just our core fucking headdress. So, but you know, alternatively, you know, we're also getting like our emu plumes and putting them in our slouch hats and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, CAV and, and Armour Corps in general just has like a different look to it that sort of stands out amongst other units. So, um, yeah, you know, we're just leading it and embracing it. But, you know, we're, we're doing – so the first part of the IT training, you're going through bin bar troop and at the time – you know, you got gassed, you learnt the claymore and a few other pyros and that sort of stuff, smoke grenades and that sort of thing. Um, then you move on to your communications phase and that's three weeks at the comms wing. So you're learning the 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 harness that are in the vehicles, learning what the different bits and pieces are called, learning how to encrypt um, messages, learning how to transmit, you know, CAV and Armour Corps in general, are quite quick on the radio, so you're learning that that radio banter, um, which I think set, sets up the dig pretty well for when they get to their to their regiments or their, their units and then, again, on operations. So um, comms wing was kind of dry, though. It was very sort of suck eggs, very suck eggs. Um, but interestingly, we had two infantry instructors at comms wing. They weren't Armour Corps guys. So, a guy from 3RAR and another fella from, I think, 5'7". I think. I could be wrong, probably wrong. 
Um, but yeah, super switched on dudes. Um, and then you move on to your, your driving and servicing wing. You spend a month there, so you, you finally get your hands on the lab. And that's you know learning what all the components are, learning learning what you know what to do when certain alarms go off. So you, you actually get a test. You know, there's there's a little panel in the lab, and when lights start blinking and alarms start going off, you get you know a second or two to look down at the panel and go, oh shit! Tell a crew commander what this alarm is, and then what you've got to do about it. So you actually have to study a little bit to mm-hmm. to figure out what all these things are and what you got to do about them. But then servicing and like Monday to Friday, you typically spend out and about just driving the vehicle, being instructed and you know, going over different obstacles. You're doing recovery lessons. You're learning, oh, shit, we've stoved a tire in on a piece of dead wood or whatever and what do we do now? Oh, this how you change the tire. This how you do this. They do that, you know. Uh, but it was pretty good. I learning, you, know, you kind of feel a bit of invincible, especially as a driver up the front of these vehicles. You know, you, you're pretty much protected by this armored shell and all the suspension, all the good suspensions up the front. So you're running over logs and gutters and all this sort of shit, just going helpfully. You're like, fuck, yeah, I'm untouchable. Meanwhile, the crew commander's like, will you slow the fuck down? You were hitting everything. <laughs> it's super uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was grouse. And then the last week, the last phase of the course, uh, you move into your gunnery phase. So you're learning the, the 50 cal, the 12.7 mm QCB, um, the 58, and how to, to use it from the RWS system on the, the PC, mm. the plat mounts and that sort of stuff as well. So and it was funny, actually, The um, you rock up down to the, the range at Pucker where you're doing all your live fire serials. And the Navy actually have... Um, platforms there for their 50 cals it's just like a bolted to the ground freaking rig and they use their 50 cals in a crew a lot like the infantry do and they do like single shot and whatever else so we're on our pcs and we're doing cav bursts and a cav burst is like you know 10 to 20 round bursts of the 50 cal and you kind of just have to hang on to it you know and here these two navy like a bunch of navy guys show up and they're like pew yeah, single. Pew. <laughs> it's like, ah, you fucking weirdos, what are you doing that shit for? <laughs> and they're having like guys holding the belt for them and this sort of stuff. Like, what's that about? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but now I think when you go through IATs as a, as a CAV crewman or an armored crewman, there's an extra component now where you do recon scout training. So you're learning more heavy weapons, you're learning the, the 66s and 40 mil and your 84s, and you're learning dismounted tactics and that sort of shit as well. So, um yeah that was a course and sort of training that you got that was down to the individual regiments that i did later on in my career when i got to two calves so but no it, it by the time um iits was finished you were definitely ready to get out of there yeah ready to get into land army yeah <clears throat> so you get your posting to two cav up in darwin mate how was that yep. you know that's a bit of a, um darwin's darwin yes Darwin is Darwin. Uh, now, look, I I wanted Darwin to be honest. Um, you know, the two cab at the time had this had this sort of r- rumor or sort of air about it being like the, the premier cavalry, cavalry regiment. Um, you know, a lot of the instructors that we had had had, had a lot of operational experience, and they were like, "If you want to deploy, go to Darwin." Mm. I was like, "Well, that's what I joined the army to do." So. 
Um, anyway, plus I, I didn't want to come back to Brisbane. Um, like I said, I had a pretty shitty breakup with a couple of chicks and I was like, no, I'm done with Brisbane, done with a Brizzy life. So uh, even if I'd got a Brisbane posting, I probably would have opted to uh, swap with someone to, to get to the territory. But Darwin's a different beast. Um, I lived up there as a kid. My dad got posted up there for two and a half years, so I had a pretty good working knowledge of the place, knew where to go and, and that sort of stuff. But um, So we get to Darwin and uh, A-Squadron, I think the day or the day before or the day of, uh, I just got back from AMTG2 in Iraq. So we're, we're in the lines, you know, these little fucking Rios and – Someone comes over and goes, Oi, you the new Marchins? They're like, uh, yep. And he's like, right, A-Squadron's just got back from Iraq and they're going to be ramping it all the weekend. Probably for the best, you just stay on base and <laughs> just, just be quiet. <laughs> right, copy yeah, that, yeah, no yeah, worries. Yeah. And as it was, like, we, we got the duty wheels to drop us into the local shops and you know, we all chucked in and bought a TV. We came back and we set it up in the like the common room of the the block we we're living in. We bought a carton of beer and we were sitting there doing nothing, just watching footy or something like that. And we can see sort of across this. So in Darwin, there was like two rows of the living and accommodation and a big grassy gap between both blocks. And all the A squadron guys that were on base were just sending it. Like there's a massive barbecue going on, and we. You know, come about eight thirty, nine o'clock at night, and we hear this like muffled, oh, second story, hundred meters, Rio's on. I'm like, what is that? And we hear this boom, and this fucking smash, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And we, you know, we didn't know what the hell was going on. And then there's another fucking smash. We finally, finally sort of poke our heads out. And the boys from A Squadron had this fucking spud gun. Spud and they gun, were firing. Yeah. They were firing like big chunks of like Devon. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, what, what is this place? You know. And then the fireworks came out, and it's like, so you know, obviously in territory, there's territory day, and fireworks are legal to buy for everybody and anybody. So, but people obviously stash them, and every now and again, a little block wall break out. And you know they're having these fucking mortar competitions of fireworks being shot at each other. Um, but you know that that was that was Darwin. Yeah, that was the life of the block, and, and and it was just it was grouse for for a young bloke to just to be sort of left with your own device of the weekend and having block parties with you know the other guys from other squadrons and you know, the couple of guys from A squadron would come over and go, oh, "Who are you guys?" and start to get to know you and that sort of shit. And it was just great. It yeah, was awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, they, they, they're inviting you into the town and say, so you're in shenanigans or you're in the deck bar or, you know, yeah. Oh, mate. Is it dangerous. Old, place, good old mate. shags. Got me, in <laughs> got me in trouble a few times. <laughs> and, you know, we, we got to Darwin in um, the dry season. So, you know, the, the edge came down. So, all right, you knew marchings. Right, you, we're doing PT. Yep, cool. No worries, sir. And we're doing um, – what do they call it? Like uh, acclimatization PT. So I'm not going to smash you because you just come from Pucker and Pucker's winter time and it's, there's no such thing in Darwin as winter. It's just wet and dry. And really, he's like, oh, okay, no problems. And he launches into this session and we are just getting smashed for the first two weeks. We're just getting annihilated. And this is, this is welcome to Darwin. And, 
yeah, it was just, it was grouse. It was awesome. And learning what Frontline was and getting the big warnings like, do not buy a TV from Frontline. You will, <laughs> you will lose all your money and do not buy a car on credit. Just wait until you deploy. You will deploy. Just just hold off. So it was just awesome, you know, and yeah. then getting out and ex- exploring the territory. Like I, I didn't really do any fishing or anything like growing up, but we went on a couple of fishing charters and you know, learning about what, you know, how how prevalent crocs were everywhere and you know just it was wild it was just like this wild place and a lot of guys who had never been to the territory were like why is it so hot why is it so hot i don't get it why it's so hot you know when you walked out of even like darwin airport you know darwin greets you it's like a punch in the face Mm. like this heat and humidity it just assaults you and like some guys just like oh geez it just sucks the life right out of you but no, it was great. It was a great place to to. I think it's good. It was a good posting, especially if you were super young, didn't have a family, and had no other attachments. Like, get out and do those. Like, even even as a copper, go and do Mount Isa, go and do Dumaji and that sort of stuff. Go and do it. Get out away from your parents and what you know and what you what you've grown up with and experience something else. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, exactly, mate. Now, moving forward to 2007, just reading here, mate, obviously the bio you sent to quite extensive. You had your first uh, major setback as a driver and <laughs> sounds like you've uh, oh, done a boo-boo. <laughs> didn't know what? Jesus Christ. So, two, 2000, I'll sort of backtrack a little bit. So, 2006, I got put on the Manny as a, as a replacement. So, I had to do the workup with B-Squadron to do OBG two to go to Iraq and they're like you'll get a gig someone will fuck up someone will get pissed drive drunk whatever get in trouble we always use our replacements okay no worries get all the cams all the gear all all, all the stuff go and do the MRE everything don't get a trip so heartbroken it's like it's cool A squadron is going to do OBG3 we're sending you there cool it's just a six month wait basically but uh, training starts and we can't train in our local training areas because it's the wet season. So Mount Bundy's flooded and just disgusting. So the whole butter group picks up and we go down to Coltana for basically two months to do all our live fire serials, this sort of stuff. And yeah, sure enough, one day I'm driving and we're doing targetry or we're putting something out and I've got the SSM. And he's, he's a mean motherfucker, like super professional. And now that I'm older, I really appreciate what he what he did for the guys. But this guy was a Somalia veteran and, you know, had, had come to the regiment, came to A Squadron as the SSM after doing a two-year stint with the US Marines. So he was hard and he was a hard man, but fair, very fair. But uh, I was going through this creek line and I'm just gently nosing the vehicle in this creek line. It's quite steep. And I'd just come off the brakes that little bit too much and the whole car just fucking sent it into the bottom of his creek line, <laughs> smashed the car and the SSM's like thrown out of his hatch and like almost broke his arm and like he's fucking launching into me and my crew is like, oh, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a boo-boo. It was a boo-boo. <laughs> Lessons learned. Yeah. And at the same time, like – Everyone else in the back's injured, 
and I'm driving hatch down and my face just smashes against the periscope. So, like, I'm leaking from my, my mouth and my nose and, and this sort of shit. And as we pull up, you know, my my crewy um, wall, he goes, fucking check the car over. I'm like, yep, will do. I'm checking the car. I'm still bleeding from my face. No one gives a fuck. It's just like you sort yourself out later. You fix the car first. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was what it was. It was what That's it was. Wild. That's wild. It, but you know what? I, at least I learned that shit on in training. Yeah, because exactly. there were guys who were fucking up big time once we got in the country. Exactly. Yeah. Man, yeah. I've sat, I've sat, obviously, I've sat a, a few times in the in the driver's seat. I've never driven a fucking lab, but I sat there with the hatch down to see. The yep. view you guys have got is fucking – it's pretty wild. Like it's – Yeah, but you know what? I I prefer driving hatch down no way. than what I no did. Way. Yeah, because once you get it and you've got it, once the penny drops, yeah, you you just feel invincible. And especially when you're doing like a rock, not so much because it's it's open, it's a fucking tabletop. Um, but when you're doing live fire, shooting and maneuvering as a troop, it's just the best feeling in the world. Like, and I, and I can sort of touch on it a bit more as I, as I became a crewy. But as a driver, you're looking at that left and right of your periscopes as much as you can. You're seeing your infantry go forward and attacking targets, or you're seeing other cars doing bounds, and you just you get jacked up. You know, the, the, the guys have got iPods or CD players hooked into our radios. So yeah, you're listening yeah, to yeah. Metallica and shit while you're, yeah. while you're cruising along. It's just the best. Yeah. It's absolutely awesome. It is, it is pretty wild. Like I've seen it obviously on X a few times where, you know, they're, it's literally like an infantry section just bounding, but it's just yeah. labs just going forward, you know, smashing the 25 mil or 50s and yep. just bounding. It's fucking actually pretty fucking wild to see. Pretty cool shit. When it's done and it's done well, it looks it's cool. it's art. It's yeah. beautiful. It yeah. is just – it's one of the few, very few things I miss about Army yeah. is, is doing like literally live fire shoot manoeuvre. Yeah, right. As you said, mate, you this is you put on the manning for OBG uh, three. Uh, yeah, you guys are doing the MRE, ready to deploy to Iraq in June. So you go through Kuwait, yep. obviously. How was that, mate? How was how are you finally like fuck? Finally got a got a trip. Yeah, a little bit. Like, cause I had we had mates that we went through IETs with who, you know, both in Darwin and um, our our other cav regiment in Brisbane, 214, that were on sector and had gone on OBG2 and we're like, shit, the boys are already getting amongst it. I'm like, fuck, let's, let's, everyone's keen. Then you finally get on that bird and you're finally landing in Kuwait and then you get off in Kuwait and it's like, what is this place? You know, there's that, there's that wafting smell of just shit in the air, <laughs> in the air and dust and, and heat, like heat like you've never known. And the days are just extraordinarily long. Like dawn is like three thirty, four o'clock mm. in the morning, and it's not it, the sun doesn't go down until nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. It's just bizarre. But you know, we're getting into sort of medical training. We're doing lots of shooting, lots of um, you know, uh, we were doing like some room clearances and that sort of stuff, which I thought was awesome training. I don't know if it, um, but we're all going through this sort of stuff and going through the motions. Um, we found out what the PX was in Q8. We're like, what, what is this weird beast? And and then, you know, the looking at and getting our first experiences of like the American army and the, the American military machine, it was just, it's just eye-opening. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Mate, just for the listeners, 
I've had a couple of boys that on that have done the OBG. So basically, it's just an Overwatch <laughs> battle group that's uh, yeah watching pipelines and fucking MSRs. Yeah, so we we were based in the southern part of Iraq in um, Talil Air Force Base, which is right next to the ziggurat of Ur, which um, depending on who you follow religiously is a birthplace of civilization. So, you know, we, we had the Euphrates close to us and the Emirates, uh, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And I would big historical, like I'm a mad, massive history fit, um, mm. buff, have been forever. And so <clears throat> realizing where I was is like, holy shit, we're in ancient Mesopotamia. This is fucking unreal. But yeah, a lot of our jobs were going, punching out to Samoa and having key leadership engagements with Iraqi army. You know, we're running the Iraqi army training team around to their camps. You know, we're doing a lot of overwatch tasks of main supply routes. So we would often set up, do big night moves and get overwatch on critical overpasses on like route Irish, route Boston, that sort of stuff. And there would be these, <clears throat> there'd be these massive, massive American convoys punching up from Kuwait to go up to Baghdad. And, you know, like the convoy would start before you get on picket. You get on for an hour picket in the turret and this convoy is still going. It's still going like there's like two, three, four hundred vehicles long, all these trucks. And then there's to be an MRAP or a Rhino or a Humvee or whatever. And it was just like, holy shit. You know, it's all food, water, you know, fuel, just smashing it up, you know. And those poor guys get absolutely crumped. Um, a lot of the time so but you know it, it was what it was you know so but we did that we did we did this um we nicknamed it op car park and what we would do we'd, we'd rock up to work at 11 o'clock at night we'd line all the vehicles up and basically get ready to react to um support american sf elements that were doing night raids in nearby nazaria and that sort of stuff so in years to come um, talking to a Green Beret that I actually went away with last year, he was in country and was one of the guys that I was standing by to support. Oh, no so, yeah, it's funny how it worked out. But, you know, that was – that was, and we would, we would also do like border operations where we did like a massive week or two down to the Saudi border. And during that time, you know, you're seeing uh, Iraqi – uh, armored positions that have been destroyed during Gulf One and Gulf, like the invasion in Gulf Two, um, they're still there. And there's like T T fifty four fifty five tanks with skeletons and shit just sitting there in the desert. It was just, it's just nuts. It's just, it's all just sitting there. So, or, and then, <laughs> and then the troop sergeant goes, "Yeah, don't get too close." And like, Why is that? It's like, oh, they've been hit by depleted uranium shells. Like, Ugh. <laughs> like the Yanks, Yanks and their Abrams tanks have come through and, and engaged whoever and you know but you know we're operating in areas where during gulf one like battle of the 73rd easting was happening so it's just it's very um if you're like a student of history or you're into your history especially military history um being in iraq in the area in iraq that we were was very eye-opening very very um you just appreciate what you got at home i think Mm. a lot more as well yeah exactly now, during this uh, this deployment, anything significant happened, IEDs? Because as we know, IEDs were quite prevalent in Iraq at that stage. 
Um, yeah, we had a couple of. I don't think we had any strikes. Um, we had a few fines, a couple of near misses. Uh, while I think it was the first week or two we were in country, it came down like the nightly orders that a um, an American Abrams tank had been taken out by these EFP IEDs. They were the big threat at the time, these EFPs. And we we're like, oh, okay, you've been hit. Everyone's all right. Like, no, no, the crew's dead. Like, this thing's just gone sh- punched straight through a tank. Everyone, holy shit, you know, we've seen Abrams tanks in person. They'd just come into service before we left to come to Iraq. And we understand how thick and how intense a tank's armour is. It's like a good three, four inches thick, those side skirts. And an EFP is just punched clean straight through and killed everyone inside. We're like, oh, Jesus, fuck, right. Um, okay, I guess we'll keep a lookout for these EFP IDs. And what they were doing is they were daisy-chaining them. So um, they were using infrared to trigger these IEDs. <clears throat> and then um, offsetting them somehow to, to strike cars and multiple cars at the same time. Mm. But don't believe we had any strikes. OBG2, they got, had a pretty significant gunfight. Um, so there's a lot of lessons learnt from that that I think we adopted. And we had different ECM and, and that sort of stuff um, that basically negated that those that infrared capability that uh, the enemy, which is the JSL Marty Jam, we're always looking for Jam in the middle of fucking nowhere. <coughs> that um, they're employed, but uh, that ECM like is pretty horrid shit. Mm. Like I remember pulling to a position, and you know once you pull into a position, you know you typically switch off and chill out. And I'd left the ECM on. Um, and this camel herder had, had these, these bringing his fucking camels past, and they were just stopped. And I was I wasn't allowed to get out of the vehicle yet, so I'm just watching these frigging camels as they're sitting in front, like standing in front of my car. And this camel would just sort of starts heaving, you know, I'm like Ugh, camel's going to be sick. And sure enough, it fucking throws up, it throws up blood, and we're like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And my crew's like, fuck, is the ECM on? <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah. I've been cooking this fucking camel from the inside out and making it sick. And I'm like, ugh, yeah. shit, so I had to hand over. I had to give this guy like 50 bucks US. And I'm sorry about your camel. But he was happy to get his $50. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Then he was about his camel. That's it. it fuck, it's, a, it's, cra- it's actually crazy with, with the labs, mate. Fuck, they're just such a cancerous vehicle when it's, you know, down the track for, you know, cancer and fucking whatever. Just- well, yeah, there's the, the ECM the raid has. You know, there, there's the, the CAV curse was often joked about in the regiment. A lot of the guys are having baby girls. Yeah. Because that, and, the, and the rumor was is that like all the radio and the raid has in the vehicle was cooking your, your swimmers and only, <laughs> only giving you girls. Yeah. Uh, but there was that. There was the the, the halon gas. Like, so, they, you know, you weren't allowed to so – which that was the, the fire extinguishing system. In the, in the lab, so you weren't supposed to smoke or anything like that in the back of the cars because they've got these sensors that detects flame and heat and smoke, I believe. This thing would just automatically kick on and you weren't allowed to smoke for 24 hours, but it would fuck you up. Like you'd be coughing and wheezing and all this sort of shit. Never mind like all the diesel fumes and it, yeah. bloody whatever else uh, you're inhaling at the time. One of the, one of the hatches was literally like <laughs> right on a fucking exhaust. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. standing in it fucking a couple of times, you know, in, in the, in the PC. And it's just right yeah. in your fucking face and you're just like, this is 
What do you fucking do? And it's funny because when you got infantry in the back, especially around winter time, they all fight for that yeah. right hand hatch yeah. that's right next to the exhaust because yeah. it's nice and warm. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck off, you had it last time. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Give me the exhaust, <laughs> mate. Um, the biggest, especially mm, the, the big engagement, was recorded by the army. Was it? What's got? What's going on? Yeah, there? yeah. That's so nice. we had this. We were doing this. I don't even remember why we were there. But we went to this town, a little shitty town called Ashatra, and I think we we're doing on the CO about. And uh, we pulled off, and my my um, patrol. So I was in the sergeant's patrol. Uh, the boss that escorted the the um, the CO with him. And he pulled up to this T intersection. The boss did. He's traversed off down the laneway. The snipers. Uh, so we we're there with five seven five seven RAI with the um, command element for the for the for the battle group. Now snipers off to the le- uh, behind the vehicle behind a little mud wall, and they got engaged by someone with small arms. <clears throat> so the boss reacted to that um, in kind with twenty five mil HE, and then they get engaged by an RPG, and then it was just it was on from there. But uh, it was yeah, it was it was all recorded by we had army PR uh, hanging out oh, hanging yeah. out of a bushmaster hatch. And it was like oh fuck, get shot at like it was fuck shit contact. Contact from somewhere, <laughs> so everyone's mad. I mean, we're we're just sort of off, just oh what, like just you know, we heard the whole thing go down, and like it, we'd gone from like having Iraqis and playing like handing out fucking bottles of water. They always want water, and they always want pens, and they always want soccer balls and that sort of shit. To mount up, fucking guns out, and it was like the, the change that happened was just so fucking rapid. It was, um, but it was yeah, it was awesome. I think we were the only the only call sign to get um, main rounds off during the deployment. And it was went all over the news and all yeah. over Australia and around the world. So yeah, I think I know the video. It was about. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, again, with the lab, mate, it's pretty fucking cool to see that 25 mil fucking just, just swing around and turn it on. There, there is something very comfortable, comfortable about knowing you've got the biggest stick in the valley, and it's, uh, it's, it's very comforting. <laughs> Mates, how long is that deployment? I think it was just over, or just, just under uh, seven months. Yeah, nice. so we get back in December. Yep, so you we get got, back. So June to December. Get back in December, mate. Back to Australia. What are you doing with all all your cashed up, uh, your cashed, <laughs> cashed up dig, mate? Shenanigans. So, so for so we had Rockwell, um, and, and me and three other mates. We end up going to the Greek islands and partying in oh, Eos and Mykonos <laughs> and that sort of shit for for two weeks. So spent a bit of money there. Uh, come back, and ever since I was seventeen. So the day I got my driver's license, as I was leaving Queensland Transport, there next to me pulls up this. Um, this uh, SS Commodore. So I was like, I'm going to have one of them one day. That's sick. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I did. Set my money on a VY Series 2 SS. Of course you did. And the rest of it sort of got spent in dribs and drabs, travel and yeah, yeah. little holidays here and there. Like we were living in Darwin. Like it, it was cheaper to fly to Bali for a long weekend than what it was to fly to Brisbane. So. Yeah. Even though you weren't supposed to, it was very much just part of the, the yearly mandatory training. Like, you will not travel to Bali. And then you go there and, you know, you're running into like the CO or the ADGE or yeah. the TIC, the regiment. Yeah. Like, uh, they're like, 
if you don't say anything, we won't say anything. Yeah, no worries. We're not here. <laughs> Mate, when you get back to the unit, is there any talk of uh, any further deployments? It's all like, at the time, like, that was it. you know, it was just two cab, it, yep. it was, you know, um, we were, and that, that was sort of the, the driving factor to go into, into labs, you know. Like I said earlier, I was pretty tragic on looking at the Army RAG and different publications like Contact Magazine. And, you know, these labs were, were everywhere um, from Baghdad to Timor, you know. The, these labs, they were just, you know, they, they seem to be like the force multiplier of sorts. So just quickly, mate, obviously. Yep. Uh, you got back in December, as you said, in October, Trooper Poppy Pierce was killed in Afghanistan. In yeah. Was it October? October, I'm pretty sure. Uh, September, October, I think, yeah. somewhere around there. So October, I think we just had his anniversary. How, so, did, how, did, that, um, how did that reverb around, you know, you, you guys dropping fucking um, hats? So I, I'd met Poppy. He he was on the, the IET course behind mine, and I met him uh, about – Two weeks before we left Pucker, and he was—he was a really nice guy. You know, he's showing you pictures of his family. He's nicely spoken, no bullshit. He was just a good fucking dude. Um, and then you get the the word, you know. Then we had guys in our troop and amongst the, the squadron that did IETs with him and were quite close to him. So we had a little ceremony for him um, amongst the troop. But then it was sort of work as per normal. You got to you got to crack on. What that meant for the rest of us, I mean, the, the, the IED threat was kind of differing from Iraq to Afghanistan. They didn't have the EFPs over there. We were still leading leading big troop movements and everything else as labs. But it, it was definitely a, a bit of a little bit of a wake-up call. Like, yes, we're out here. We're dominating our battle space. But this shit happens. People fucking die. People get killed. It's drivers die. It's not just the people who are exposed. So... It was a very sobering, very sobering moment for, for the battle group as a whole, especially for, if you were a driver and, and especially more so again if you knew Poppy. Yeah. So you obviously get back back to the unit and this time you're ramping up for Afghanistan. Yeah. So we we had a pretty good idea that trips, more trips were coming. Um, we had a guy um, – you know, everyone's talking like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to buy an investment property. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And shares. And I, I have a mate of mine, and I'm kicking myself. We were sitting in Kuwait on the way home from Iraq, and I'm, I'm looking at the car I'm about to buy for the fifteenth time that day. Um, and he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, I'm just this car I'm buying." He's like, "Okay." He's do me a favor. I'm like, What's that? He's like, "Get onto this website. I want you to buy some Bitcoin. Spend a hundred bucks." Oh, no. I, went, I went, "What?" What is this? And he's like explaining this internet money. I'm like, mate, you've been scammed. You're a dickhead. You know nothing. Yeah. Fuck, whatever. Pyramid scheme. And he's like, whatever. What do you know? You know? And he's like, look, what are you doing when, when you get back to Darwin? I was like, you know, fucking get on the piss. What do you reckon? And he's like, look, take that money. You've got a lot of it. He goes, take the equivalent of that money and just buy Bitcoin. Just do it. Uh, okay, whatever. And I didn't. And I run into that guy about three years ago. He's like, hey, remember I told you to buy Bitcoin? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I bought fucking lots of it back then, and I never ever work. I've got generational wealth. Oh, fuck yeah, should listen. <laughs> but um, no, so we we had a fairly good idea in. So that was two thousand eight. That more trips were coming. You know, um, MTF one. We said we sent C Squadron off on MTF one. 
So we, we knew that this Afghan deployment with deployments were, were a thing that we had to share with 214. So Iraq was winding down. We were still seeing troops from the regiment onto sector. Um, we didn't have troops in Timor. I think the, the live presence in Timor was quite short-lived. Um, but 2008 was a bit of a training year. So we'd done, we'd seen guys on courses. We did some recon scout work. Um, you know, at the time between 2CAV and 214, we were sharing a squadron of vehicles because um, all the rest of them were deployed. So there was a lot of a lot of vehicles going back and forward between Brisbane, Pucker, and Darwin. But at the time when we got back, we didn't have cars mm. at all. So we were just doing dismantle work. Oh, there's nothing. There's and like then, nothing left in the unit. It's all overseas. No, like literally, you were sharing. So uh, you were almost on this repeated cycle, a lot like what SF was, of deploy, rest, train, repeat. Isn't like that, that, that was the lie. That's wild that there was it no was assets fucking crazy. in Australia though. Like for whatever reason, China goes, Fuck, let's go invade Australia. We've got, uh, we've got no vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was really, it was really like, like yet yeah, 214s, they're, they're about to, they've got um, a squadron of, of, they've got the vehicles at the moment because they've got guys getting ready to go on OBG, Sekdet mm. and Afghan. So they've got the vehicles. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to do recon sick out stuff. Dismount. So we're going to do dismount of shit. So we would do crash action on 84s, crash action 50 cals. We would do a little bit of QCB stuff and we would do all kinds of stuff. We do into 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 troop competitions and, and whatever else. So until about mid-year when we finally got the vehicles back. Um, and by this stage, I was working for uh, Andrew Hasty. So we got vehicles and we 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 got sent to we went to Singo, yeah, and we we got um, picked up for a, a support role for a special forces training center. So that was pretty cool, pretty eye opening again. Like I'd never been to Singo, but like watching the ITs getting put through their paces and it was like shit. Like our ITs was a lot to take in mentally. Um, but it looked from the outset um, that the the guys at Singo, the, the infantry ITs, it was a lot physically. Like those guys were being punished. <laughs> yeah. and I don't know if they'd fucked up, or that was just another day in Singo for as an IT. But they were they were hooking in. We were like, we got to watch dudes do like the bayonet assault course mm. and their obs course and and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, we had a massive firepower demo for SFTC, and you know, we, we're having shooters and guys from from perth and guys from sydney going we need you guys with us we want we want this capability on our sotgs this would be a fucking excellent asset so we're like oh fuck yeah you know, the rumor started you know like we're gonna go we're gonna go on sotg and this sort of shit so never happened never happened um but you know as a by way of thank you sftc run us through their uh the mp5 so we got to have a little fucking yippy shoot with these MP5s, and I think it was maybe as a recruiting tool as well. But you know, we, we met a lot of good dudes down there, and we bumped them again later on through different deployments. So we did that. We did a big. We then um, from Singer we bounced back up to Townsville, um, where we did a massive. I think it was a cutter exercise. 
Um, it was basically we did some troop on troop training, um, and then we did the, the culmination exercise. Um, was basically um, as we found out at the end, um, the best performing troop was going to get the Afghan deployment in two thousand nine, mm. and the runner up was going to Sekdet. So everyone was getting deployed anyway, but like everyone wanted like the Afghan, Afghan was trip, was yeah. like this. Everyone had done Iraq. We're like fuck it, we've done that, done that shit. Yep, fucking. Got the gong, got the jerseys, ate at the defect, got all the, the basket robins. <laughs> like we know this, we know this beast. We we want the Afghan trip. So yeah, we end up coming up trumps, and uh, so we go back to Darwin with the knowledge that um, yeah, we're we're going to be uh, into Afghan in two thousand nine. So in between that, you know, I've got Christmas leave coming up. I did mm-hmm. my Gunners course. We did that in house in Darwin, which is pretty sweet. Didn't have to go back to Pucker. Um, and then they say, yeah, right, everyone fuck off for Christmas leave. we see you in 2009 and fucking bring your party pants because we're going to be going. Yeah, nice, mate. So you get your trip to Afghanistan, mate. Again, totally different scenario to Iraq. You land into town camp, mate. How's that? Boots on the ground. Another trip. Wow. Uh, so TK was and Afghan in general is, is just completely, and as you know from your own experiences, it's just otherworldly. Um, you know, you can sort of look in Iraq and go, it kind of looks like home. There's sort of houses and power lines. <laughs> power lines, yeah, you know, uh, shit like that, you know, sealed roads. Um, but you, you get into Afghan and you step off the building, and look around and realize, like, holy fuck, you, this is different smell. Totally it is different, but, but it's like the air's clearer. Yeah, and until you drive past the burn pit, yeah. and <laughs> and but you know it's 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 harder to breathe, and you know because you're at fucking eighteen hundred feet above sea level or something, uh, and then you're just looking around, going, "This is this is not what I thought this was going to be." And you know, at the time, you know, before the American influence really came in, before the Dutch pulled out. Uh, you know, you're eating the Dutch mess and the fucking boiled beef, yeah, <laughs> weird fish and shit like that. You know, watching people smash down chips with mayo is just like, what is what's going on here? It was just a different, different place. And then hearing stories from the guys on MRTF one how they were getting after it, we're like, holy shit, we're in, we're in for it here. You know, this this is going to be a bit of a goer. So, and it was the first of the army's. Um, Eight month deployments mm. as well, so uh, so we know we can do six. And it's like, well, it's only two extra months, you know, it's no big deal. Um, but we definitely felt that hurt <laughs> by the end. We got home, so but uh, yeah, so living in the bomb shelters and that sort of shit. So it was um, and dealing with indirect. You know, we dealt with indirect in Iraq, um, but I think the Iraqi insurgents were a lot more accurate with their indirect fire, like we had we had a decent rocket land inside of about 50 metres from our living accommodation mm. in Iraq, um, which of itself was interesting. Like the guys who never left the wire were coming out going, oh, my God, oh, my God, shit just got real. We are like, hang on, mate. Like we've been indirected the whole time and, you know, do you know what outside the wire looks like? You're like, no, the first the furthest <laughs> you've gone is the marketplace just outside the front gate. But no, this is this is their whole combat experience. Is this is one round of indirect in on Talil. But yeah, you, you get after it in, in TK and you start getting out doing patrols and you, you know, you're looking at these fields of poppies and 
you know, fields and fields of, of weed growing, you know, it's, it's above your head and, you know, it's as high as the vehicles and, you know, you're looking at, you know, just, it's just, it's just a different world. It's just so different, so removed and foreign from anything you've ever seen before. And where did you, where'd you guys, like, what was your area of operation? Where'd you spend most of your time out, out of? So I was fortunate in that during the um, lead up training, we, I, more, I was a gunner for this trip in the lab, so sitting up in the turret and getting after it there. So I was the uh, the other call sign for the 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 bosses patrol, and we'd sent uh, a troop plus. So we had two two labs, and but we were the um, the CO's tactical party. So wherever the boss wanted to go, and the RSM and all his hanger on is is where we took him. So we had guys down Baluchi, Mirabad, and everywhere else in, in between. And we were taking the, the CO just wherever he wanted to go. Um, if he wanted to be out on on the ground for a clearing operation that the company was doing, well, that's where we were. Mm. If he wanted to be sitting fat, dumb, and happy and doing it all from the from the main base at TK, well, that's where we were too. So we were kind of at his discretion, but it was good. We we went everywhere. We saw all the patrol bases. We went, um, we scouted a lot of different areas for different patrol bases. Um, we did the recon for patrol base Wali and anyone who worked there, I'm sorry, we tried to tell the boss it's a bad idea to put, <laughs> put a patrol base there, but he wasn't going to be told. So that's where they built it and... Yeah, they had their issues they had there. So, but we got around the battle space. We we went and saw everything. It was grouse. Yeah, no, exactly, mate. It's, it, at the end of the day, it was quite a small AO for the Australian Army. It yeah, no- it, it was. And I think you know the the IED threat kind of limits. Yeah, the the amount of area you can go exactly just just to just get after, I suppose. That's it. It might, um, it might seem like they, a, yeah, it might seem like a small AO, like twenty kilometers, but it took fucking twenty four hours to you know travel twenty four. Exactly, kilometers. exactly right. And I think, especially in the beginning, they're like, "Oh, it's only eighteen k's." Yeah, we smash that out, and then <laughs> yeah. like, uh engineers are like, "Yeah, we've got to do like two hours of yeah. searching this one vulnerable point." We're like, oh, holy yeah. shit! So it was, um, it was eye experience, and then you know, it, it definitely, you know, it, it makes you appreciate you again what we've got here, you know, being stuck in traffic doesn't seem so bad anymore. You know, you're not finding an IED outside the front gate of a patrol base, you know, so you're doing an hour and a half wait while exploitation and, and blow in place by the EOD or whatever. You're just getting after it. You're just sitting in traffic, just chilling at home, listening to music, listening to podcasts and whatever else. So you spend, you spend Christmas in uh, obviously out there and cop a bit of IDF as well. Yeah, yeah, so we were at, I think the boss wanted to just spend the, so the CO wanted to spend Christmas with his most remote and hardest to access patrol base, which was at the time patrol base Michal up in um, the Churubaluchi Valley up there. Um, and that was typically like a two-day move. We would move from TK to Mirwise, Mirwise to Michal. And that was utilizing the dash as much as we could. So we were off road, so we weren't searching as much. And it was still a two day move. 
Uh, but yeah, sort of chilling out there and the, the CEO has given his well done boys pat on the back speech. And I think there's prawns and steaks being handed out, fresh cooked. Uh, the next minute, sure enough, it's fucking rocket. And it's low enough you can hear the the engine. Yeah. They're like, fuck. And then, yeah, everyone stands too and go to work. Yeah. <laughs> the worst thing about it was like the one beer we were allowed to have, I fucking lost because I put it on the side of the tire. It was climbing off. And oh, as we no. started to move, the beer fell. I'm like, no, fuck, I haven't had a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Spill the beer. It was fucked. That's fucking wild. That's wild. Uh, as you said, mate, that deployment was eight months, did you say? Uh, it was over nine. By the time we got oh, home, shit. yeah. So, and amongst everything else, so the first half of the trip, we'd had our lead call sign, uh, our lead bushies. Um, you know, they'd hit three or four IEDs during the trip. Um, and then we you know, finding IEDs pretty much every time we stepped out. You know, that's just our call sign. You know, they're the guys in the, in the um, combat teams and the companies. They were finding significantly amount, significant higher amounts of IEDs again. So the companies start to rip out. Now, I was on the first, now you can imagine we're the CEO's call sign. We're the first flight in to start relieving in place of um, MRTF one. Uh, and then we get, the tap on the shoulder to do all the nursery patrols for MTF one that are coming in. So our trip got extended sort of three to four weeks to do all the nursery patrols, which is you know, fine, whatever. You know, we probably had the easier of rides, I suppose. We weren't as smashed. We weren't left out as long as some of our other lav troops and, and infantry guys were. Um, but the unique thing about the, the CO's call sign is like we would rotate infantry sections through. So um, for the two weeks prior, um, we were working with the section uh, that Benny Ronaldo was in. Yeah, right. And then um, so we, we were like, kicking around with those guys and, you know, just living the dream. And he was the bushy driver. So he's coming and asking us like, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And we're like, oh, yeah, cool. Just fucking you know, whatever. Um and then two days after uh, his section left, um, yeah, very sadly he was killed. So um, yeah, that, that was that was a massive kick in the guts for us. And I'll, I'll never forget where I was, what I was doing when um, when uh, we came down, and it, we heard it like because it was just down the valley, and we were sort of camped in a patrol base, and we heard the bang before we obviously we heard the report. But you know, as the as the valleys are, like that bang echoed up the valley and around the sort of the Chora Bowl. And, and back down again, we're like, fuck, that was a massive one. And so we all kind of, without being told, just stood to, jumped in cars, helmets, armor on, all that sort of stuff. And then the report starts coming down. Oh, we've got one KIA. And then finally it um, comes out who it is. And, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just fucking gut-wrenching, absolutely gut-wrenching. <clears throat> it's fucking wild, isn't it? Different, different, it's just- different fucking feeling. It's it is it's 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 it, you're almost sick sick to your stomach when it, when, it, when you hear or it comes over, um, and there's also a helplessness to it as well. Like you, you want to just you want to just fucking open up on any and every fighting age person that you can find, but that's that's obviously not the go. We did hear later that night, 
And through mutual friends of ours, I've since found out that that night they targeted the area of that IED facilitator and made pretty sure our friends yeah. from Mobile West yes, yeah, made I pretty short work of. Yes, I've had someone on that did speak about it. I think it may be Andy. Oh, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, I think it was Andy actually. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, they did. They killed them all, which is good. Fucking oh, fantastic. Great. The same, same similar thing happened with um, Matty Lambert a couple yeah. of years later. So, yeah. But, yeah, by the time we the, the battle group was wrapping up, it was we were definitely ready to come home. Uh, the cool thing there was, so, like, my best mate, he was the best man at my wedding, like, my best friend growing up, um, he was on the incoming battle group. So, we've actually got to spend a month together just chilling, hanging out, shooting and fucking talking shit in between patrols and whatever else. So, um, no, it was rad. You know, but you know, we were held over a little bit longer just because of the weather. Like TK wasn't an all-weather strip at that point. So yep. snow and rain and mud and whatever else was just restrictive. So every morning we'd report to the flight line and they go, nothing for you guys. So we'd go back to the dongers and just go to the gym, chill out, you know, have another buddy burger from Echoes or fucking whatever else. Fuck, Echoes. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a fucking while. Milkshakes and BLTs for life. <laughs> Kelly fries. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mates, so as I said, uh, nine months, you finally get back to Australia, back to Darwin, mate. How are you, how are you feeling? I was pretty burnt out. Mm. Like, I was pretty cooked, like just tired. I was really tired. I, I was still – there was no thought at that point of getting out. Like I was still pretty green and keen. Um, I'd had a girlfriend at the stage. I'd, I'd met her who's now my wife. Um, I met her through – I went went back to Australia on Rockall and with the idea of buying an investment property, trying to grow up a little bit. Instead, I spent 20 grand on a jet ski. Uh, <laughs> As you do. As you do, you know, fuck it, you live once. Uh, but I met her and so I'd, I'd taken, just basically emptied my leave um, on return to Australia and I disappeared from work for about three months and just stayed with her, went to Hamilton Island and just enjoyed life a little bit. You know, the regiment was still trying to bring me back for gunnery camps and exercise or whatever else and I just learnt to leave my phone off and not answer private numbers, so... But yeah, get back to get back to two cav. Uh, I think uh, March, April, May, somewhere around then. It was after Anzac Day. I went back yep. to work, um, and I had conversations with my missus, my girl at the time, and she's like, "You know, I could move to Darwin." I'm like, "No, you are not moving to Darwin. Darwin will fucking eat you alive." Um, just, just steady on. And so we've done a couple of bits and pieces around the joint and I was getting pretty bored of Darwin. Like a lot of the guys that I went overseas with on the previous two trips, um, they'd, they'd had enough. They were getting out. So a lot of the old the old guard were moving on and the, the senior digs and full tracks that were around the place were being posted other units. So the place didn't look the same, didn't feel the same. Um one of the guys came to the office and goes, oh, look, there's a spot going on um, sub four for your crew commander course, for a crew commander course. Do you want it? I went, oh, what do you reckon? He's like, fucking beat sitting here. So I went, all right, I'll go. So I went down to Pucker for another three months and did my crewies course, which was uh, super cool. 
uh, I, was, I was probably hands down the, the best course I did in Army, um, the most fun I'd had. And, um, yeah, got back from that and I think inside of a week of getting back, they someone come down the compound and said, oh, they're, they're looking for people to post to Townsville. Is anyone keen? And my my missus and I had had a conversation. As, you know, she goes, oh, look, I've got friends in Townsville. Would you, if you get a Townsville posting, that'd be that'd be all right. And so I said, yep, I'll go. And so there's a handful of us who chucked in to go to Townsville. Uh, and uh, the RSM sort of gave us a bit of a bollocking for it. He's like, fucking, you'll never deploy again going to B Squadron, fucking blah, 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 blah. We're like, oh, shit, righto. Um, little did he know, day one of getting at work at B Squadron 3-4 Cab, like all of every <laughs> single person here is, yeah. is fucking going this yeah. year. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, jokes on you, Joe, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's three four cav, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, B squad three four cav. Yeah, nice, though, mate. So obviously, you get your depl- uh, your posting order to Townsville, the Ville. You move to the Ville. Yep, hanging out at the Mad Cow, mate. Getting ready for Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It was it was awesome because uh, those of us who came from Darwin got to Townsville. We were, we were like, what is this place? I don't understand. You have more than one mess. You have more than one front line. You have you, know, you can swim in some of the beaches. What what is this place? It was the land of milk and honey. Yeah. And the, the, the polar opposite was the guys who got posted up from Brisbane, sitting in the corner crying because they don't have the valley or the fucking the Vic to go to. Or oh, the Norma Vic is not here anymore. What yeah. are we going to do? Yeah, it's yeah. just it's not the same. <laughs> so no, it was cool. Um, so day in the first week of being a B squadron and marching in, <clears throat> uh, they're like, right, um, you're on standby to go on SOTG. I was like, fuck yeah, that's mint. I'd, I'd love to do that. That'd be rad. And as it, because they said like, oh, you're a crew commander, you're a junior leader, blah blah blah. Um, you'd be perfect. It'd be great. You know, it's just what they that's what they need. Like, yeah, wicked. I'm like, and you're bushmaster qualified, aren't you? I went, ah, oh, no, I haven't got my bushy course yet. And they're like, ah, oh, fuck. We don't have time to call for like train you in the bushy, so we'll we'll piff you off to the MTF and we'll get someone else. So I was fucking spewing about that because um, they were leaving sooner as well. Mm. Um, so missed out on SOTG as a driver crewy. Um, that was a trip that um, Todd Langley, Brett Wood were were sadly killed, and and um, uh, Rowan Rowan Robinson were uh, were sadly killed on. Um, so we missed that, but. Um, Get put on uh, the MTF thing, which is great. You know, we force force combined down at uh, two RAR, which is grouse. There's no worries. Uh, initially, I was in the the like the mo- they call it uh, mobility or maneuver support squadron. It was like a heavy uh, a, a cab heavy combat team that used to move people around the battle space, um, and that lasted all of about maybe six hours before I got piffed out again and sent to combat team Delta. So initially I was a bit fucking down and out about it because the section that I was working with, uh, with mobility support was a, a really cool bunch of dudes. Uh, and then uh, Chris May rings me. He's like, hey, man, yeah, as he kind of does. <laughs> so I, I went through Kapuka and um, IETs with his older brother, Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd met Christopher uh, when he was about 15. So mm-hmm. I'd known him a long time. 
and I knew that he was joining the army. And uh, he was on. We were on the the, the previous Afghan tour together. I bumped into him around the traps, and um, then he, he rings. He's like, "Hey, man, you come to Delta? You're in. You're in our call sign." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll see how we go when we get there." And sure enough, like, "Yep, yeah, here's your car. Fucking, you're with this crew." So, and I I knew the Seco. I knew the two IC from my previous two trips as well. Uh, Brummers. Uh, I knew Matty from my previous trip and the rest of the boys were all cool. Like, and there was no bullshit, no, no new guy to the section or anything like that. It was like, Hey man, how you doing? Come on in, have a brew, have a coat. Let's fucking work it out. So initially we were working in combat. Yeah. So combat team Delta. So we got to move uh, a lot of people in the battle space. We were working with um, Justin Huggett pretty closely. Yeah. yeah. And his boss. So, uh, I spent a lot of time working with Hugo. I got a lot of time and a lot of respect for, for him. And it, the, the best thing about Hugo is I think he, he always has that infantry is the best yeah. kind of mentality, but there's a lot of respect, like professional yeah. respect for, for everyone else on the team. And if you can do your job and enables him to do his job and you're not a fuck up, then fucking we're sweet. And we didn't have any fuck-ups in our team, so everyone got along really, really well. So, yeah, so we're working with the sections there and getting in, and you know, lots of things are happening. You know, the lead-up, we were out bush a lot. We were fucking constantly up at high range doing different serials, um, and that's leading into the MRE. Then the MRE kicks off, and um, that's gone really, really well. Training's gone well. Then we had to – fuck. I don't know if you'll forgive me for saying this, but um, we had this serial where um, the enemy forces were attacking the, this patrol base we were in and we were reacting to it. And Chris, he, he, he's fast, he's quick with a lot of it, and he's very switched on. And he's fucking like, all right, fucking let's go, ramp up. Let's go. He's like, all right, cool, fucking. So he and his driver are mounted up and they're out the gate around the corner hooking into it. And me and my driver are like, just getting our shit on still and he's gone, you know. And next minute we hear this, ah, oh, fuck. And it's end X, end X, end X, like fucking pause X. We're like, what's going on? And it comes out that um, unfortunately that one of the enemy role players was like laying in the long grass and Chris has fucking run him over. Yeah. Like this dude run over the bush. Like, Chris is beside himself, the poor bastard. And he's like, fuck, I've killed this dude. And, so big pause X and like police are coming up and investigating and MPs try to investigate. I mean, they could investigate a full nappy as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But um, yeah, that was the whole thing. So the whole exercise was shut down for most the rest of the day before we could kick on again. But um, you could really tell that affected Maisie. Mm. Like he really took it to heart and he really slowed down a lot after that. Um, I don't think he ever second guessed himself. But he just slowed right down. So yeah, yeah, that was Clark. Good or bad? Clark was the guy that was run over. I don't know his name. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I just recorded with um, Kyle Wilson. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah. He said it was Clark. I think Clark. He's apparently passed away now. I'm pretty sure. Oh, true. I didn't know. Yeah, shit. I think. Oh, fuck. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's but, fucking tragic. Yeah, wild. But uh, yeah, no, I think Maisie did speak about it in here. And yeah, he was, you'd see his fuck. Accidents happen, but. Yeah, yeah, well, I remember standing on my bushy and looking over, like, over the, 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 um, 
to patrol base walls and he's just got his hands on his head like this, like just defeat. You know, he's not just absolutely beside himself and just kicking his ass. And, you know, you brought him in later on and you, 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 there's only so much you can do or say to comfort someone. You know, what, what do you say to someone when mm. you've run over, you know, one of our own in a Bushmaster? Mm. Like, it's just fucking nuts. Fucking wild. But, uh, no, we eventually crack on. <sighs> Get, and get over. Yeah, so. you finally get back to Afghanistan again, mate, back to the curly fries and milkshakes. <laughs> mate, how was it? Now, I'm just reading here, you know, again, a few IEDs around and yeah, I thought you might yeah. drive over one instead. Well, look, we got there and we were combat team Delta, so we weren't a part of like the main thing in TK, which looking back, I loved like we were based out of patrol base Muwais um, with um, our infantry guys. We had some Americans there. We had, I don't know, a heap of A&A and we um, were there to do a heap of mentoring and that sort of stuff. So it was rad, you know, but uh, things had changed. We were supposed to be working with Hugo's team down in Michal and we ended up staying in Muwais and our sister section got sent to Michal instead, which, you know, whatever. No, the way the sort of cards fall. Um, but it's grouse, you know, we, we were getting after it. And then, and then, yeah, like you said, that the IDs started to be found, or we started hitting IDs, we started taking casualties. Um, Kyle and his boys are getting after it. We, we'd had obviously, we had Fabs, and um, I had his team, him and uh, uh, Kells. Uh, I had them in my vehicle a lot, so I had to spend a lot of time with Fabs listening to his. He he's the sort of guy like, fuck, he just makes you laugh. I, I don't know if he does it intentionally or he just comes out with it. It's some sort of fucking weird autism. I don't know. Fuck, he just there was very rarely a, a time where Fabs and Kells were in the car where you weren't in tears at some point from laughing. Like it was just some of the shit he would come out with was just next level. But yeah, we're finding bombs, we're hitting bombs. Um, it was just, it was just wild. It was just every time you go out, you're finding something. You're like, "Fuck, that's a big one. That's a big one." Or even our nursery patrol, the, the, the section two IC that we had pulled up, and he looked to his left. He's like, "That looks weird." He called the engineers over, and they found like he found this IED that's literally at head level of the bushmaster in a fucking mud wall. And they're like, "Oh fuck, this thing would have." Like it's like an improvised claymore, just about just shoved with rocks and dirt and shit. And would have taken him out, killed him outright. And you know, like, oh, okay, cool. Welcome to Afghanistan. This is rad. Um, so yeah, we're fighting a lot. And then that that same guy hit an IED um, a couple of weeks later, and as a result, the our section commander he fucking lost his hearing out of it, so he gets sent home. So the two IC steps up. To Seco, I step up to two IC, um, which was a reality check in of itself. And yeah, we crack on. So we're cracking on and cracking on. I go on my rock I meet the missus, and we go to Europe and do the cool Europe thing. Um, and then we get back, uh, and then September rolls around, and um, we're on the job where Chris hits his OID, which was pretty fucked. Mm. It was actually really, really fucked. Um, that'll that'll never, never leave my mind. Doesn't matter how many psychedelics I fucking smash into my head. I think I'll I'll always remember that and the details of that. Yeah. Um, 
it was just fucked. Like, it's one of those jobs that didn't really didn't need to go ahead. Um, and even I remember standing at the bo- back of the boss's vehicle and we're getting orders for it. And every, all the, like the, you know, the the crew commander standing there listening to like the that loud box, that squawk box that they used to have up in the labs. Hearing this come over, and we've got EOD with us, you know, they're clearance divers and you know sergeant engineers specialising in explosive ordnance and that sort of thing. We've got our search commander there, and we've got all our vehicle commanders there, and what the OC is telling us. Is just and, and like his timings and all this sort of shit. We're just like, we can't fucking achieve this. We cannot get all this way up there, all the way back, without finding anything for one or hitting anything, and, and not doing that searching inside the parameters that we're giving us. So it's not the case of typical diggers being diggers complaining and not wanting to do the work. We're putting up like legitimate arguments of like, boss, we can't achieve this. This is is unfacilitatable. And it's like, no, you will go, you will do it. And I, and I remember just as we're stepping off, and just before Chris got in his car, I said, Oh, I mean, just be careful because I don't know, I just, this one just feels shit. And he's just like, Yeah, I know. What are we going to do? Oh, like, and that's the other thing. That sounds like him too. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. That's exactly what we said. He's like, Yeah, well, fuck. You know, orders are orders. And as part of orders, like the Intel fucking monkey down there with the OC has gone, Oh, we've received intel that there's. Two, we have credible information that there's two uh, sizable IEDs en route to that patrol base need to go to. And as we're getting orders, we hear this fucking God Almighty bang. Everyone looks up the valley and there's a massive plume of smoke. We're like, okay, Intel's pretty solid. There's one. And we're still go. There's one. And we're like, righto, all right, let's, let's go. Let's step off. Sure enough, an hour later, I remember watching uh, the engineers do their thing and they like the dog went over it, the whole works. And then Chris rolled in and I was like, nah, this is not good. And then fucking bang, up he goes. And it was like, it was the, his hands down the biggest bang I've ever been fucking present for. Like it shook my molars in my teeth and the whole works. And the image I have of Chris standing in that cupola of his bushy and just surrounded by dirt and fire and just, you know, when it's, it's almost like watching a, like a big hit on the footy field. You know that guy was unconscious. Mm. That was the same thing looking at Chris. Like I knew he was unconscious uh, or or worse. Like in, in my head, I'm like, he's dead. Christopher's dead. Uh, and the next thought I had was, how the fuck am I going to explain that to his brother, mm-hmm. one of my best mates, and his mum and dad, who I'd met at IETs. I go stay at their place on the weekends. Um, even to the point where as the section two I see, I took like the notebook that I had with like all his controlled stores and everything like that. Once I could dismount, uh, was safe to dismount and go forward, I went to go and like, all right, I need to fucking account for all this, all this shit. And then like it comes out that, you know, he's wounded. He can't move. So the boys bring him back to my car and I'm feeding the boss intel to get his AME sorted out. And because he's had morphine from the medic, he's gobbling off. He's like a little canary. Oh, you fucking didn't get me, you cunts. Fuck you, Terry. And like, I'm trying to transmit and like the boss is going, can you say that again? Like you just come across a bit garbled, you know. I went, oi, shut the fuck up. And he's like, oh, sorry, man, sorry. He's like, it's really fucking bright. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I put my sunnies on him 
like my issued ones, I had some like uh, a second pair in my car. So here, just fucking have them and um, get him out and then, yeah, go forward and, and account for all his shit. And what another, the other thing that sticks with me about that day was the blast was so fucking violent that the rifles, his purse rifle um, in the storage rack of the bushy had cocked themselves. So like, it, like the forces at play there was just like, you know, it takes a like it takes a little bit of pressure, a little bit mm. of force to cock a stire. And this these two things that fucking like both him and his driver's rifles had cocked themselves in the stowage racks and just like fucking hell like. And then it was like, I'm so glad I'm in a Bushmaster and not an Aslav mm. because the survivability of these these vehicles is just it's just unheard of. And even to the point where we're like like our American counterparts that we work with are like, fuck, I wish we had Bushmasters. We're telling our higher-ups, like, we want Bushmaster because they fucking survive of being hit. So it was, yeah, gold star to uh, to Talos and fucking Bushmaster. Fucking wild. <clears throat> but, you know, we had other things happening along the way, like, you know, Fab's obviously had his contact where he – um, Gorgeous George came about, so that was obviously a fun afternoon. Then Kyle's contact same day, that was kicking off, um, and then we had another another good stint where it was a day off. We like we said like you, you Cav guys, you got nothing on. Um, six five are up on on the feature behind Mirrorwise, so I don't know if you did you don't know if you Mirrorwise was a thing during your trips. I think so. He's up in Chora. Nah, no, we didn't. Nah. Ah, well, there's a patrol base there, and yeah. right behind it was this huge, huge feature. And quite often, the, the, the snipers would be sent up there to you know do sniper stuff. Um, so it was a day off, and it was like sick. I'm gonna go to the gym. And at the time, Jack 3D was the the, the pre workout yeah. of choice for everyone before it was you know considered the same thing as heroin and crystal meth. And uh, so I had about three or four scoops of this Jack 3D and I was going to the gym. I was literally just taking my time, getting my earbuds on, getting changed and let's go to the gym. And the boss comes in and goes, fucking get your shit on. We're lining up, ready to react. Fabs is about to sh- – Fabs and Kells have got targets on 62. They're about to engage. We're going to go react to it. Like, oh, fucking no. I get my kid on and roll down to the cars and line up at the back gate. And we're literally waiting. And as the lead course on, as I, as I was then, um, like I get my gun on and I can feel this Jack 3D start to kick in. And by the time I eventually rolled out, I literally heard Fabs. He was using the, um, it was this 50 cal he was using, mm. maybe the Blazer. Yeah, it was the 50. He had this shoot. Yeah, the 50. And he engaged these um, Taliban doing it like a, yeah, like a vehicle checkpoint. I heard the bang. I said, Timmy, let's go. And so the whole call sign's taken off and we roll out the gate, bringing the gun to action. And at the same time, I'm like chewing my face off on fucking Jack 3D. <laughs> and like that led to like other contacts and whatever else. And it was just like, it was a hectic day. And by the time we got back in, like I'm fucking drained because I've just come on this massive stim that I was supposed to exert at the gym and just had this massive crash and, falling asleep in orders that night and that sort of shit. <laughs> it's just, just just deployment things, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh <laughs> Yeah, right. But um 
Yeah, about, about a month or two. So November rolled around, uh, and that's when I hit mine. So um, during the, our time during this deployment, uh, the the like the reconstruction task group team, whatever you want to call it, they'd they'd funded Afghanis to basically build blacktop all the way from Tarankout up the Chora Valley um, past our patrol base. So for a little while there, we were like doing these rocket runs between our patrol base and TK uh, to the point where like the engineers are like, it's fucking bitumen. They're not going to put IEDs in bitumen. Fucking let's just go. So we're doing these rocket runs and we were on this one one day and, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the OC used to give us orders to go down and you know, go to TK to pick up the mail, go to TK to take these leave apps to go a bit signed by the CO. And we're like, what the fuck are we doing this for? This is setting patterns. This is this is completely against what they told us to do during training. And we was like, he wouldn't have it. He just, you know, I think Hugo touched onto it, the fact that our OC was an mm. absolute cock mm. that we had. Um. So, yeah, this one day we were hooking along down Route 62 uh, on the Michal approach and next minute, fucking bang. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? And why does my back hurt so much? Like my lower back, just like instant fucking pain, just fucking bang. I was like, Timmy, hold up here. And uh, the sergeant behind us in the labs, he's fucking put out, contact IED. I'm like, fucking where? And I look over the vehicle and, you know, sure enough, my front left tire is fucking destroyed. And back on the road and there's a hole in the road and the engineers are like, oh, fuck. And they get out, they start doing their thing. And my back and my knees are just fucking killing me, like just horrendous pain. But I can walk. So I'm like, well, I'm I'm okay. I'm like, I've just got a sore back, you know? So... Yeah, we, we they're hooking in like, oh no, the, this is this is absolutely an IED. They've used picks, picks and shovels and whatever else to dig into the bitumen, and they buried a, like a fifteen kilo, I think it was, uh, YPOC in the ground, and linked it to uh, an anti purse mine with debt cord, and then covered up with dust and shit. So this looked like another part of the road. Mm. So we're just hooking along and fucking bang. But it was the first IED of its type like this in all of Afghanistan. So TTPs for rolling around on blacktop changed for like the entire ISF or thanks to what we found that day because it didn't, it didn't work. It didn't work how they wanted it to work. And the engineers and the EOD guy said, if that had worked the way it was meant to, you'd be fucking dead because the way that the blast would have been channeled instead of it like, funneling out like as mm. IEDs typically tend to do, it would have been focused Directed. straight up. Directed straight up. And he said you you you'd be pretty fucked up. So yeah, it was um it's pretty fucking wild, man. Pretty wild. And then yeah, that obviously the flow on effect was that it was like everywhere we went was with extreme caution. We checked every fucking culvert and that flow on effect led on to how the Americans did their business and and, and everything. So it was pretty fucking wild. Yeah, right. Fucking hell, mate. So Christmas again in Afghanistan and then uh, how long is this trip? This one's a bit shorter. 
Uh, he was just like literally a day or two just shy of uh, eight months, yep. just over seven, just shy of eight. So, yeah. Uh, and by then, I was pretty jaded. I was actually really, really jaded. And uh, I, I went into Afghanistan still pretty green and keen with no intent to leave army. In, in fact, I was going to use the trip to train a lot, train as hard as I could uh, to chuck in for selection the following year once we got back. How we were treated though and how we were managed by the, the, the command team we had in Delta, like I was just fucking done. I was like, oh, fucking me and army, no mass, no mass. Fucking done, finished, let me out. And then so I'd gotten back. I hadn't completely made the decision to get out yet. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just see how I go. Maybe I'll, I just need some leave and you know, decompress a little bit. Had the time off with my missus. We went to Bali, got engaged, did all that sort of cool stuff. Came back to work and I think they put me on um, sub one, like JLC, and I lasted about three days on that. I was like, this is bullshit. You know, you, you're teaching us all this fucking, like how to suck eggs. You know, 90% of the room has just done a deployment and you're teaching us the importance of timings and, how to work under stress and how to work tired and I'm like I don't care, I just don't fucking care. Like just fuck off. So knowing that that was my attitude was pretty poor. Um, I knew that that wasn't get, that that attitude wasn't going to survive selection, so I didn't go down that road at all. Um, knowing that I wanted to do something similar. SFE kind of thing. Uh, I found out what CERT was in the Queensland Police. And I was talking to my troop sergeant. Uh, his name was Will Boyack. He was actually killed in a, um, a car accident a couple of years later. He said, well, you want to do this, but you don't want to be in the Army. Why don't you go be a copper? And I went, oh, yeah, sounds like a sick idea. So I chucked in and um, did all my testing and that sort of shit. And a couple of months later, I was at the academy down in, um, down in Brizzy. Yeah, right. So, fuck, you pull the pin off the defence force. And become a cop. Yeah. And it's pretty pretty much like a just a spare of the moment quite, you know, fuck, I'm, I'm done here. I'm just going to become a fucking cop. Yes and no. Like I'd spoken to, my, to my, my wife about like, what do you think about this? She's like, well, puts us back in Brisbane. I want to be in Brisbane. You want to be in Brisbane. You know, all, a lot of our friends and family were there. Um. Like when I chucked in, I did tick the box to go to uh, Brisbane or Townsville Academy, so I didn't care really where I went. Um, but just by happenstance that I got the Brisbane Academy, so that's where I went. So you head to the academy, mate. How'd you find it? You know, transitioning Fucking. from yeah, from what you've been doing to you know, as we know, the cops can be quite, uh, especially what we're talking two thousand twelve. So political correctness is in full swing. Hundred. It, I did not love my time at the academy at all. I loved the driver training aspect of it. Had a blast doing that. Um, the rest of it was quite, I wouldn't even say academic compared to what I'm doing now. Um, it was more about memorizing big chunks of legislation so you could write it down on an exam later on. Um, a lot of the people that I was, or a couple of the people that was in my squad at the academy I would say we were quite immature. Like, you know, there's a part, so part of the academy, you get your uniform and you get all your accoutrements and you kick around the academy with all this shit. So they've got like um, 
little weights that you put in like your magazine pouch. Mm. It's the same way as a magazine, same weight as an OC. You get um, a taser every day to put on with two spent cartridges and a flat taser with like no batteries in it and this dummy Glock that's green. You put that in your holster to simulate, you know, walking around and having this shit on all day. And the first day that we were told that we could wear accoutrements, there's a couple of girls in the corner doing the Charlie's Angels pose with their fucking gats. And you're like, fucking grow up. You're like, oh, well, what? It's like, do you understand this is the thing that's going to fucking save your life one day? Like, fucking treat it like, treat it as such. Like, it's not a toy. Grow up. So... Did it, I loved, I liked all that, like the hands-on skills. And like we had a guy that was ex-UK um, Secret Service. Like he used to protect the Queen. And here this guy is like teaching us hands-on handcuffing skills. And like a couple of that, like those guys are awesome. There's a couple of ex-Army guys in that cell that would teach us all like our handcuffing skills and um, baton skills um, or, or like your wrist locks and that sort of shit. And I'll, I'll never forget there was a day – there's a young guy and an ex-army guy running the show and we're doing – there's a technique uh, the police use called the um, uh, it was push-pull or something like that. You get a handcuff on and you manipulate the cuff a certain way that it causes a pretty severe amount of pain um, for the recipient to get compliance, you know. Anyway, he's got – I'm just like, oh, who wants to do the demo for this? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. So they get the cuffs on, and right? we do the push pull, and we do this technique, and they got me up against the, uh, a wall to you know, get control over your, your your person, get the cuffs on, and they're talking it all through, and they're like, "Right, oh, no, give me your wrist." And I'm like, "No," and they bear my wrist right back, and I'm like, "Oh fuck!" I'm like, "Yeah, see, pain compliance it works." And I'm like, and I said, "And uh, what I said, so they they reek it on again, I'm like, oh, and they're like. Oh, you're right. Like, yeah. Next time, spit on me and pull my hair as well. And like, this dude just went fucking bright red. He's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> he just he couldn't look at me. He's like, "Yeah, what's my name?" <laughs> just, just so lighten it up a little bit. But um, yeah, like the hands-on stuff was great. The um, the academic bookwork stuff was like, I wasn't the best student again. Um, I tried hard. Um, I spent a lot of late nights looking at legislation, memorizing sections of the Police Powers and Responsibilities Act and this, that, and the other. But yeah, I love the driver training. It was great fun. Burning fuel and tires on someone else's dime was always a good time. Um, we did taser training. We did the OC. Everyone gets OC sprayed, except a couple of us who fucking wished out of it. Same with the taser. Um, and that OC spray is fucking horrendous. Like even now, you even get like dish soap that has like a citrus smell to it. And it's like, <laughs> give flashbacks to being OC sprayed. It's fucking horrid. Uh, Taser's not so bad. It's five seconds of fucking hard work and then it's all over. So, yeah, I don't I, Yeah, I'd rather not be tased. But, you know, you can tase me another 27 times before you spray me again. Yeah. That's fucking for sure. No, OC spray is fucking bad. It's bad. Especially it's the bad. army. I think the army was using fucking oil-based at one stage. That was Yeah, terrible. yeah. Horrendous shit. It's never good. It's just <laughs> it's just a bad time for everybody. It's just a bad time. <laughs> but no, I was super keen once, super keen to go to the academy and just crack on with my first year of policing. Yeah, so, and how'd yeah. you go, mate? So where'd you get posted? So first posting, uh, Anala, Anala Station. Yeah, oh, fuck. It was a rough uh, old joint, Anala. 
Yeah, no, good to go. Great place to learn to be a cop, actually. Really, really good. Uh, there's a great team there. I had a really, really, really good FTO. And uh, the, even the, the, the people who work there under a really good boss as well, you knew you left and right of arc. Mm. And so long as you didn't fuck up really, really bad, you know, you, you kind of got left alone. Uh, your work kind of speaks for you as a, as a copper, uh, especially as a first year. And it's, it's not, it's not a hard job. You just got to do it properly. You know, you just do your job properly and you'll be all right. Uh, we had one bloke who come through us with us and he was an absolute heat seeker. Just couldn't help but fuck up, you know? And so he got to end up getting extended. And so his first year actually went for like two years almost. So. But no, it was a great place to work. You know, you, you're doing your first drug arrest, your first chase, your first pursuit, your first um, deceased person, your first arrest, your first this, your first that. So it's, um, you know, I thought I'd seen a lot um, during my time in, in Army, but then all of a sudden, you know, you're doing like a mental health transport with someone in like a mental crisis and you're checking them in at the front counter of the PA hospital. And as she's standing there, you know, a dildo falls out. And you're like, what, what the fuck is going on? Like, like, has that been there the whole time? Oh, yeah. And you're like, what, what the fuck is going on? What is this? And like, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. The, the, shit, the shit that emergency services are exposed to is just, it's just alien. There's no other word for it. It's just bizarre. Yeah, yeah, and I've said I've said this multiple times. I just don't know how they fucking do it, mate. Because oh. like said it's, it's anything, anything, and everything. And you know, I've obviously got a lot of mates in mm. in those jobs, and the some of the shit they tell me, I was like, what the fuck? Like that's just yeah, that's something I've never even comprehended. Like I couldn't even think about this. You know, it's and, not even in my wildest dreams. You, and you come across things, and you're like, how did you do that? Like, can you, how, how does that happen? What? Why? What? Why? How? What? What, what was yeah. your thought process? Is like this is going to be a sick idea, and like, and then you know, like protesters, you know, handcuffing themselves and shit like that, and just really unique, bizarre problems that they never presented you with at the academy. That's for fucking sure. Or people absolutely cooked on fucking meth or heroin or whatever else, and just like skinny, lanky, nothing dudes. But there's six coppers or four coppers hanging off them, and they're not stopping. They've been tased yeah, six yeah. times or sprayed, yeah. and they're just charging. You're like, whoa, this is fuck and hell. Like, if the Taliban had meth, we might have been in trouble. So, yeah, it was, it was fucking wild. Yeah. Now, how's your mindset? Obviously, you said you started getting a little bit jaded from the military. You know, you're stepping into another uh, organization similar of uh, nature. <laughs> Uh, under the command of, you know, shitty fucking brass at the end of the day. There's a lot more fucking probably shitty brass in the cops yeah. these days. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I had a really good mate. Uh, I haven't spoken to him for a while, but uh, there's a bloke I met at Anala Station who who was uh, a RAF reservist. And he he sort of said, like, you know, coming from defence, it's, like, it's not like army, you know. There's a lot of people here that will stand on you. And, and almost use you to to get what they want and get what they need, and has don't don't expect like higher up to to cover for you because that doesn't exist. So he's like, heads up, fucking, you're on your own almost. And I'm like, oh shit, righto. So that was an eye opening experience as well to to 
come from a military organization to a paramilitary organization and seeing like junior connies uh constables telling senior constables or um sergeants to be like i'm not doing that fuck you no you do it and i was like huh it outranks you by like a lot and you're just telling someone to fuck off like it doesn't fly where I come from. Like you get punched in the throat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just, yeah, it's, I kind of took it as it was and it's like, right, I need to just fucking keep cracking on doing what I'm doing, get this first year out of the way and then try and get where I need to go and do what I want to do. So which at the mm. time was to go on selection and go to cert. So that was the focus. Yeah. That was the yeah, focus. Yeah. In, in like just obviously the the differences with the army and the cops, I guess with the army mate, like I guess it's kinda it's a twenty four hour a day. You're with the same guys twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and it's almost like college. You're in you just live there. Yeah. Whereas I guess for you as a cop, mm-hmm. it was almost like a nine to five, essentially. So bit, bit yeah. more freedom on a little time. Uh, you're doing the shift work thing, so I think you work six mm. out of six days out of twenty eight or something like that. Um, you might you might get two weekends off in a roster period. Otherwise, you're on. You're doing the shift work thing. You're doing the night work thing, um, which is fine. I mean, I, I knew that going into policing that it was shift work, and shift work is what it is. It can be really fun. It can be really shit. It can drag out. It can it can get to you. Um, the big difference between army and policing, when people ask me what what do I, you know, what do I think about it, is you know in the army you, you train and train and train and train for years and years and years, and you you might get to deploy and do your job for real um, on operations once or twice. Um, policing sort of the reverse of that. So you train for six months and you do your job every day for real, live and in color every time you turn up to a shift. Uh, especially in general duties, and it's it's a mixed bag. It's you know like like old Forrest Gump. You just never know what you're going to get. You'd be going from a DV to a noise complaint to a gunfight. It just it's fucking it's raw and it's unreal. It's one of the the, the greatest shows of humanity, I think. <laughs> Front row seat. Front row seat. And and you, you got you've got the golden ticket. Yeah. Yeah, as you said, mate, you were, you know, your initial goal was to train up for cert, but your, your daughter's born and from there, mate, you pretty much just lost all yep. drive to go cert and just thought, fuck it, I'll just keep cracking on with the GD side of things. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and even to the point where I'd, I'd met a couple of cert guys and been invited to their PT sessions a couple of times, got a lot of good advice, um, you know, I'd... I'd ask what sort of training I should be doing, and they basically handed me the um, that um, thirteen week program that you were talking about with Ant Plater the other day. He mm. said, "You said just do this, you'll be fine." So I was knocking away through that, and like they got some pretty decent barriers to get onto the selection course. Now, at the time, the selection course was three days of selection, but you had to pass um, a one dayer, and on that one dayer, you had to knock out. I think it was about 400 meters and 10 minutes uh, for a swim. You needed to do 10 heaves, like timed heaves, push-ups, sit-ups, and then the culmination was a 10K run in 46 minutes or less. 
So it was a fucking, it was a decent run. And I was, my run was about the 45, 44 minute mark. Um, and I was sort of building up to my heaves. I had, I had about seven or eight good heaves and I was building towards that. But yeah, my daughter was born. And the first time I held her, I was like, what am I doing? I don't need that shit. I just, yeah, I was just complete lost focus and not focus or drive, but I, was, I, just, I just didn't want it anymore. It was something else. Like I just didn't need, it was like something went off my brain. It was like, you need to be focusing with this little person now. You don't need to be chasing down big bad guys with an R4. It was, no, this is okay to do what you're doing now. So, mm. but it left a bit of a hole uh, and direction about where I wanted to go for about 12 months. And I was looking at dive squad and I think I chucked in for Polair as one of their observers at one point. Um, and then a mate of mine I was working with uh, in Pine Rivers, uh, he got into the the tactical crime squad up um, in Burpengary. He said, this is pretty fucking rad. And so he was telling me about all the work he was doing there and it looked really cool. And as part of your first year program, you do a heap of rotations and I'd rotated through the uh, Nala tactical crime squad. And they're a really great bunch of guys. and. The work we were doing there, like search warrants every day and chasing bad guys and you know, doing arrest warrants. I was like, this is what I joined the job to do. Like do arrest bad people, chase bad people, kick doors in and fucking have a good time doing it. Um, and the beautiful thing about uh, TAC crime at the time was you weren't a slave to the radio. You weren't you weren't taskable by police communications. So you could hear all this shit going on, and be like, nah, I'm just gonna fucking We'll go for yeah. a coffee. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it, it was grouse. So, yeah, I sort of, 2016, I sort of knuckled down and uh, spent my time building my resume to chuck in for the Morton Tackle Crime Squad. Chucked in for that towards the end of the year. And in December, uh, the boss there, who I still talk to today, is a fucking good guy, best boss I worked for um, during my time as a copper. He said, look, I've got a job. Do you still want it? And I said, yeah, fuck yeah. He goes, all right, give me some time, do some paperwork, and we'll probably have you over here in Feb. Sounds good. So, yeah, come Feb 2017, I was I was off out of general duties. Yeah, right. And at this stage too, your eldest son is born as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he come along. Um, but also around about this time, like there'd been a couple of tr- decent, big traumatic jobs that I'd went to. Um that was like thrown massive spanners in the works for my mental health. I mean, Christmas Day 2015, uh, we had this like a like an armed siege kind of thing. Um, so we ended up going to do almost like like a direct action on the on this house, me and three two other guys, and I stopped before we actually hit the property, and I said to the two other guys, "Look, just." Let me make a quick phone call. And they're like, what for? I said, well, I don't know what we're going into here. Um, the intel is that this guy's got a shotgun and he's letting rounds go pretty easily. Yes, we're here with body armor and I had the, the R4 out that day and everything else. Um, but fucking, I don't know what's about to happen. And I've got a three-month-old daughter I need to say goodbye to. So, uh, yeah, I she got on the phone and they were driving down to my in-law's place at the time. And I just left them a voicemail saying, listen, I don't know if that happened, but I love yous and I'll see you if I see you again. So 
that happened. And then there's a few other big jobs that happened as well. I got badly assaulted during one job and then told off for it. Um, told, told what? What? Yeah. Yeah. So I called urgent. I called urgent. I said, oh, urgent code one. And then after everything had happened, the um, district duty officer gave me a bit of a bollocking for it. Gave like chewed me out for it. It's like, if you call code one, I expect someone's been shot or stabbed. I'm like, well, it was me and this other guy who's a fucking empty uniform. And there's me, like two of us dealing with this violent 120 kilo Maori fella. Uniform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, for the caliber of the guy I was working with, he liked to tase people in the back running away, which is completely against fucking training and teaching of QPS, but you know, he's still on the job. So good for him. Um, so yeah, I called urgent because we were both being assaulted pretty badly. Like this guy at one stage was sitting on my chest, both hands around my throat, telling me he's going to kill me and fighting him off. Um, we eventually got him arrested, and then during the course of getting him in cuffs, I get fucking hit on the back in the back of the head by his younger brother, seventeen year old, and so my vision goes black for a second. Um, I had the foresight though to keep my hand on the cuffs until I could sort of shake it out. Um, so it was all in. So I called urgent and urgent code one and people came out of the woodwork and, and helped us out. And yeah, but we're at the watch house and I'm being patched up. I'm sitting in, in a chair being patched up by uh, an Ambo and this guy saying, don't ever fucking do that again. Rah, 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 just take a strips off me. I'm like, okay, cool. Good talk. Thanks for that. Can I go back to my yeah. rest now? You fuckwit. It's like, but that's that's it's typical QPS, mate. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mates, 2017. You're what's so you're a part of that new group? Yeah, it, sorry? Tactical Crime Squad TCS. Tactical Crime Squad. That's it. TCS. How's that, mate? This this working with all this organised crime, is it? Uh, so we worked with anyone and everyone. It's like we got a like request. So we did jobs with Border Force and we did jobs with AFP and we did jobs with um, Task Force Maxima, who's our like the Queensland's bikey task force. So Route to 13 kind of equivalent in Queensland. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we did jobs with State um, Crime Command and um, their drug and alcohol, <laughs> drug and firearm squads and that sort of stuff. So. And then we do our own targeted um, operations as well. Um, a lot of search warrants, a lot of um, chasing people on arrest warrants and that sort of shit as well. So it was very proactive, which is what I loved about it. But uh, what I was kind of doing was uh, basically running on fumes at the time. So <clears throat> at the time, my mental health wasn't great at all. I just sort of kept going, kept masking. Um not sleeping. Sleep would just fucking elude me. I'd get maybe an hour or two a night, if that. Um, and the sleep that I did have, I'm having a lot of fucking intrusive dreams, nightmares and that sort of shit. It was not at all uncommon to wake up in like a puddle of my own sweat just and like in, in a panic. But it's like, fuck, I've got to go to work. Tool up, off we go. Um, but yeah, it got to the point where that all culminated and it was like, I'm sick and tired of being angry. I'm sick and tired of being tired. 
and not being able to sleep. I can't exist like this. I don't want to fucking be here anymore. Jeff, it's what time to go. It? Yeah, what was it? So this is 2017. What, you know, just trying to break it down, mate, to see because, <clears throat> again, it might help someone else. You know, what? where did you recognize that you were just like, fuck, this is, I'm fucking, the candle's about out. Uh, so after Anzac Day, I had a really shitty Anzac Day. I got in a fight with a friend and uh, to this day regret it. Um, regret the things I said, regret the things I did. Just two seconds, I just got to shut the door. Yeah, bro. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, I think it was a combination, a lot of pressure from work and just feeling like I had nothing left. Like there's just nothing in the tank. I've got nothing left to give. And because I've got nothing left to give, I've got just no purpose, no drive, no direction, no no, no reason to be anymore. So what am I doing? I'm sick of feeling like this. I'm sick of thinking like this. It's It's time to go. Is there thoughts from Afghanistan, Iraq, army life? Uh, a little Lose, bit. Losing mates, losing mates, et cetera. A little bit. like um, Different tempo. Yeah, a little bit. Like being as proactive as we were in the TCS, um, you, yeah, you, you're going and going and going, but, you know, when it's off, you, that's when it's time. To, to think about it and when I was thinking about it, it was like fucking hell. Like we, we had another job when I was in TCS where we were after this fella and and we, we caught in the house and whatever else and we finally get him and we find a loaded shotgun in the house and at any stage he could have opened the door and had a shot at us and he didn't. And it's like, why? He's like, oh, well, I've had heroin say instead of meth. If I had meth, I would have had a go. I'm like, fuck. And we had another job not long after I got to TCS. We interdicted this other fellow who was wanted on a heap of shit. And he pulled uh, a 357 on us. And by the time I got to him um, with my Glock out, um, you know, got him handcuffed. And the first thing I did was go, you know, classic. Once you've got someone under restraint, you clear the weapon. Um, I opened it. It was a 357, like a Ruger 357. I dropped the cylinder out and there's three hard struck rounds. It's oh, like shit. fuck. And like that that fucked me up. Like like for whatever reason, like grace of God or whatever, like yeah, I shouldn't be here, but I am. And it was like fuck this I don't I don't get it. And it's all this shit is going around in your head and the no sleep and like I relived that that day and that night. Um, with with that handgun over and over and over and over and over again, it was just it's just so intrusive and just so obstructive to to my life and just any sort of being. It was fucked. By May two thousand seventeen, you find yourself in the fucking station, in the fucking yep. shower stall with the fucking clock. Yep, ready to fucking pop it. Yeah, so things have got to the point where 
my mental health had affected my marriage. So I, I basically convinced myself I was losing my wife, losing my house, losing my kids. Um, all I've got is this job that's slowly killing me. What, what am I? What am I waiting for? Um, so I'd made the plan. I'd written letters to everyone explaining myself because I didn't want there to be any, you know, why around it. Um, and yeah, so I was sitting in a store, kitted up, tooled up. I dropped the mag out, taken a single round off the top, dropped it in the Glock and ready to go. And the only thing that stopped me was um, uh, the realization that it was it was the team that was going to find me. And I just, I, I don't know if it's leftover from army or hangover from army, but I, you, you just couldn't do that to the team, couldn't do that to my teammates. So uh, yeah, I had to devise another plan to sort of take myself out of the game. Which I came up with with basically narcotics and um, over the counter medication and that sort of shit that was available at the time. Fucking hell! That's so you're just back to work, really, rather than back to work, but still yep. things are still shit. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. You're still. I've made it. Yeah. So no, I'd no, made another plan. Back to work as yeah. Sorry, just back to work as per normal. You, and as yeah. you said, you just made another plan. A week later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made another plan, but I didn't have a means to sort of pull it off um, without getting away with it um, or, or, or letting anyone know what I was doing. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the financial means of pulling off my plan was the only sort of linchpin, I suppose. So um, financially, I couldn't do it without questions being asked. So... Yeah, like things went along as they did for a little while, and then um, yeah, we had a warrant um, doing doing a, another drug warrant, search warrant, and this fella, um, the intel was he was selling uh, gear, selling ice to the primary school kids down the road. And he had a stack of cash just in a bedside table, and yeah, I was like, "Fuck, a hundred bucks is all I need," and there's about five grand just sitting there. So I took a hundred dollar note, and um, yeah, that night it was all it was all go. So off I went, and then um, went to to got everything I needed on the way home from work. Was going to put the kids to bed, say goodnight to my wife, and basically carry out my plan that night. Drive into the night, and then pull over, fall asleep, not wake up. That was the plan. What'd you, what'd you buy? Um, I know now. Uh, I think it was it's, it's a fuckload of codeine and that sort of shit. Just just like a shitload of it. So yeah, it was it's pretty fucked in hindsight. Really, really fucked. Mm. Um, but yeah, I got home from work that afternoon, and um, you know, my wife was happy to see me. My kids were happy to see me, and. It was like a massive slap in the face, like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you go through with this and you miss out on all of this, you know, all this good shit. And so destroyed all the medication. Um, the next day at work where I had all my letters and that sort of stuff stored, uh, took them out, destroyed all of those, reached out to a counsellor for some help through Open Arms or DVA or one of those sort of things. Uh, started getting some help, so and then yeah, started sort of turn the ship around a little bit. 
So you start turning that ship around. However, however, however September 2017, the Crime and Corruption Commission reach out to you and ask you for an interview. What's That's right. Uh, complete panic. Complete yep. panic. Like, ah, uh, fuck, I've forgotten about that. And thinking that I got away with it, um, the offender from the warrant had a uh, covert CCTV camera installed in the room that I didn't know about. Uh, so, yeah, caught me doing it. And that was reported to Triple C, as it rightfully should have been. Triple uh, C wanted an interview. I reached out to the uh, police union, lawyered up. Uh, they said they I won't be partaking in an interview, but they will be accepting whatever. And they basically said, well, you don't have a job at the end of this. So the, that culminated in me uh, basically spending a month in a mental health hospital in uh, Calandra, uh, getting diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression and anxiety, uh, getting medicated, uh, and then uh, ultimately being uh, medically retired from the Queensland Police in December 2017 and then having my day in court for for stealing, uh, which also uh, I, I pled guilty. I wasn't never, ever going to not. Uh, I was taught from a pretty young age by the old boy, if you, you fuck up, you own up. It's the same thing through the army, you know. If you, you fuck up on the piss, just cop to it and we'll move on from there so i did and um yeah so kind of into the ether after that which was um a bit of an unknown just back to your court now the qps prosecutor yeah wanted you fucking binned for three years yeah yeah so the uh solicitor i had from the union he's going oh just a heads up you know if this goes bad, you're going to jail today. I'm going, okay, copy that. Expecting, you know, that's is what it is. Um, and then, yeah, get to court and there he said, this copper stands up and goes, I'm recommending a period of incarceration for three years as an example to other police officers. And the magistrate, to her credit, was like, yeah, we're not entertaining that. That's not, it's not happening. And then this fucker had the gall to like go and shake my hand after everything was done. He's like, oh, you realize I have to, I had to try. I'm like, fuck you, champ. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. So, but the, you know, the, the Calvin is his name. It was more solicitor. Um, Gnick, good name practice. Shout out Calvin Gnick. Good on you, mate. Um, you know, he made an awesome case. He's like, you know, this is a guy who's served his country for seven years, became a police officer, was a police officer for five years. You know, he's got all these good work emails and good reporting. He's simply fallen off the perch. He's been missed by the QPS and their alleged, you know, welfare systems. Um, you know, looking at this as a, basically a cry for help. He doesn't have a job anymore. You know, what else do you want? And uh, the magistrates sort of said, yeah, well, I agree. You know, thank you for your service, Mr. Carson. Um Take into account, I wrote this guy got his hundred dollars back. By the way, I made it, made that check out to the, the bloke who was handed to the prosecutor for a hundred dollars, his hundred bucks back. Um, yeah, he said like, yeah, no conviction recorded, um, two years good behaviour, enjoy the rest of your life, kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, it was pretty, but it was fucking wild though. Yeah, 
three years. Like, where, where did this fucking QPS prosecutor get off? Like, where did, it's not fucking hundred bucks. Yeah. Like, regardless if you're a public servant or a fucking c- civilian. Yeah. Three years for fucking, you know. <laughs> kids fucking steal cars these days and they get a fucking slap on the wrist. Yeah. Oh, and this was sort of part of the, the, the argument that um, the solicitor was making on my behalf. He's like, there was a, there's a copper a few years back before me. You know, he'd stolen $1,000 from a warrant and got, you know, 12 months good behavior and no conviction recorded. And they're like, well, you gave this guy 12 months and no conviction. You know, this guy stole, you know, a tenth of that. Yes, it's the wrong thing to do. Yes, he's in a position of power. However, three years, it's a bit laughable. Yeah. And the magistrate was like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not, we're not even in, yeah, no. going to look at that. <laughs> I hope that prosecutor's listening. He's fucking, you're a dickhead, mate. <laughs> you, need to go back, you need to go back to school. <laughs> That's one of those things, well, like, you know, inside the police, there's just obviously you know, a bit like the army and, and defense, there's tons of different jobs you can do. And, you know, the prosecutors, Maybe you're a bit more risk adverse. Don't like being on the road. Don't like shift work. They're going to be a prosecutor. You know, bit of a cake eater kind of role. So, yeah, it is what it is. Like I acknowledge it. I, I own it. Yes, it's a shitty oh, yeah. thing that oh, happened. I'm and not, not, yeah, not disputing that. It's just yeah, fucking wild. Yeah, uh, people get less for fucking murder these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, that chick in Brisbane. She hit. She hit the her husband and his girlfriend with her car. Yeah, and immediately he he was doing the dirty on her. Uh, no conviction recorded for her either. Like, how's that little attempted murder? <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, now, mate, you booted from the cops, medically retired. Yep. And what's happening, mate? Like, you're you're seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. Yep. Fucking the works. Yep. Just getting on the mend, mate. How are you feeling uh, inside? See, this you, you don't leave the cops in your own terms. No. Right? So um, this is a complete separation from the life, you know, being having a purpose. Yeah. Uh, I, that, that was difficult of itself, um, separating from the coppers. Uh, I had ethical standards ringing me every other day while I was in hospital, um, demanding my badge and all my kit and all that sort of shit. And I wasn't answering because I was in a mental health hospital. Um, uh, and eventually my boss, Richard, and he got on to me. He's like, oh, mate, I've got this email. I've got to get glued to your shit. Yeah, no worries. And, yeah, apparently ethical standards had apparently rung him. And so, yeah, we're demanding that he hands his badge to us or something like that. And apparently he went to the bat for me and says, no, no, I'll collect it. It's all the same. Yeah. And I was I was super happy to lay it down in front of him, my badge, my ID, and he already had my firearm and all my, all my other accoutrements already. Um, they're just hanging out in uniforms, that sort of shit. So, um, yeah, it's pretty ordinary, really ordinary. <clears throat> There's a lot of um, unknowns, as you could probably imagine, a lot of unknowns. Um, I'm super, super fortunate that um, my wife, you know, God bless her, she's just been my, my absolute rock through all of this. Um, and I'm so grateful and so humble that I've I've got her in my life. You know, um, I think it was you know, Marcus Atrell during an interview <clears throat> was saying is a good woman that'll that'll bring a man out of the depths of hell, and that's kind of where I was. So, uh, yeah. So she, 
she was by my side and has been through my side through thick and thin. Um, she needs a medal herself, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, we were just cracking on. Um, I went to a reunion, a CAV reunion uh, from the MTF trip later that year. And um, I made a minor on a security business up here in Brisbane and basically offered me a job doing training and that sort of stuff. So I worked for him for a little bit, um, which was super helpful, a bit of direction, a bit of purpose, but I wasn't really loving it. You know, you come from the army and deployments and you become a cop, mm. you go to TCS, <clears throat> manning a door as a security guard doesn't really cut it for me after that. Mm. Um, no offense to security workers at all. I think it's That's an absolute, yeah. Funny. But you know what? You guys <laughs> Not provide, that I, stand on, I don't stand on doors anymore. <laughs> But you know, it, it's a it's a vital thing in society. Society absolutely needs security guards, and I take my hat off to you. Oh yeah, but fuck, mate. dealing with drunk yeah. dealing with drunken kids every night. That's fucking. That's a tough no, go. That's it. Coming from the military and what you did with <clears> cops, <throat> it is it is a fucking a bit massive step down. Yeah. Um. So I was doing doing work for Tex and Ansic for a bit. Um. Then I let that go for a bit because it really wasn't doing much for me. Uh, I started a couple of businesses at the same time. Uh, I started a business in 2019 doing gel ball skirmish, uh, which was doing really, really well. And then COVID came along and killed it. So that was shit. Uh, then I started the zero dark thing. Um, you know, a typical guy gets out of army and starts a coffee or a t-shirt business. Uh, <laughs> and that works or for a little bit or a podcast, you know. <laughs> And I, I, I even thought about the podcasting for a while as well. I was like, you know what? This Matty Morris guy, he's doing a pretty good job of getting guys <laughs> to tell these stories. I'll let him do yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, I was just sort of floating and I was always looking at these jobs that were taking me away from home. That had, like, I was going to mines and you know, gas lines, oil rigs, you know, uh, contracting in the Middle East, um, anti-piracy and, you know, my family is growing at the same time. So in, in, the, in the five years following leaving QPS, um, I've had two more kids. i got four kids. So my wife's like, nah, mate, you're not leaving the house. You're fucking run away and anti-piracy my ass. Like, not happening. I mean, it's fair play. But I'm sort of looking for something and it's just not coming. And, yeah, and um, kind of feel sort of lost, kind of like in a holding pattern kind of thing. Still doing the the whole um, therapy bit, and I still do that today. Even I think it's pretty important for anyone and everyone. Like anyone and everyone could use a bit of therapy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's always helpful. Uh, then one day a few years back, uh, my my psychiatrist like, you know, thought about the medicinal cannabis thing. I'm like, fuck no, I'm not doing medicinal cannabis. I was a cop. Like, I used to pinch people for weed. She's like, yeah, well, think about it. And I thought about, it, thought about, it, and gave that a go, and that sort of tried that and that, that was did really really well for like pain relief and any anxiety and that sort of shit and i still sort of highly recommend that um just as, as a means to sort of look at after your anxiety you know but i was on also on like four or five different medications from different antidepressants and um sleeping tablets and fucking valium and all sorts of shit you know i was a walking buddy rattling pharmacy it was a bit nuts. It was a bit out of control, and um, we had this really shitty incident. And I ended up back in court September last year, and I said to my wife, "Something's got to give." You know, something. 
I need something else. You know, I, I even tried equine therapy and, you know, working with horses and shit and just wasn't, nothing was really. Wasn't working. <laughs> wasn't working for me, no. No. Uh, so, but I'd heard this podcast earlier, earlier last year, um, the Sean Ryan show yep. and he's, he's talking and he's getting his operators and they've done this, this Ibogaine and this, this psychedelic therapy. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know? And so I started to dig into it and figuring out what psychedelics were and if they were legal in Australia and it turns out they're not, um, well, they weren't then they are now, uh, for certain therapeutic uses. And so after I landed myself in court last September, I said to my wife, uh, I'd, I'd found the place that these guys were being sent to. There's an organization in the States called Vets being run by an ex-Navy SEAL and his wife. Um, and it's a charitable organization that funds their special forces um, operators to go down and undergo this psychedelic therapy. So I had a bit of a dig around. And I'd uh, I'd hit up young veterans who I was doing work for in the ESO space. Like I basically helped stand up a lot of their chapters in Southeast Queensland. Um, I said, "Look, can I get some help here?" And basically got crickets back, so I dropped them like a hot rock. Um, got onto the uh, found the place where these operators were going and reached out to them, and they said, "Yep." We'd love to have you. You'd, you'd be our first Australian veteran to come down and undergo the medicine and come on down. So, yeah, October, this time last year, exactly a year ago today, um, I was in Tijuana, Mexico, doing fucking hardcore psychedelics. Yeah. That's hectic, mate. Fuck. That's, yeah, let's let's quickly touch on this, mate, because, fuck, last time I was in Tijuana, I was, wasn't doing psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. way. <laughs> Some primo tequila. <laughs> yeah, primo tequila. Mate, so, yeah, run us through this because obviously it's a new concept. I, well, I wouldn't yeah. say a new concept, but a new legal concept that's been now accepted here in Australia, the um, psychedelic um, therapy, even yes. to cities as well. Like it's uh, yeah. there's a few psychiatrists out there now that have got their, their ticket, I guess, and um, – now can prescribe these these trips. So you've had to travel to Mexico, and yeah. I, I listened to that same potty with um, on the Sean Ryan podcast, and there's a couple, a couple other podcasts that uh, talk about it. You go to Mexico, mate. What are you? How long are you going for? And you're just getting on the magic mushrooms, the legal magic <laughs> mushrooms. And, so uh, yeah. So uh, in Mexico, so the the whole thing goes for five days. Obviously, you have to fly to the US, and then uh, you get picked up. In, uh, in San Diego and driven over the border. You go to this place where they do this stuff. So I went with uh, two guys from the Special Operations Aviation Regiment, the Night Stalkers, uh, a Green Beret with 14 deployments to the Middle East uh, and a Navy SEAL. And so, yeah, the, 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 and, and another bloke, a civilian bloke as well, who um, accepted the challenge and decided to chuck in with four or five other Military dudes. So you get there. Um, there's a couple of things you do while you're there. You you do like a sweat lodge on day one, a Mexican sweat lodge. Day two, you're doing some uh, 
you're doing uh, a bit of breath work, a bit of yoga, that sort of stuff. You're doing like circle work as well. Like so you come together as a circle doing like some bit of group therapy, which is pretty cool, getting to know each other. Uh, so day two, you have lunch and then you don't have dinner or anything else for the afternoon. You have to fast. And that leads into the uh, the Ibogaine night. So Ibogaine is the, the hardest psychedelic or harshest, most powerful psychedelic on the planet. And that's an alkaloid derivative of uh, the iboga plant which comes from uh west africa the Bowiti people so it's uh and they use it as like a coming of age ceremony kind of thing they just chew the bark up and that's pretty hectic so they've got they've derived ibogaine um through some sort of chemical process anyway so you take this ibogaine and it starts off uh, in like a little bit of a ceremony in the evening, um, you, you write down your intentions. So what's big in the psychedelic realm is um, intentions and my, my mindset setting and intentions. So intentions over expectations. So you don't go into goes, well, I expect after this is all done that I'll be this or that or I'll behave in a certain way. You have an intention to be a better or to let certain things go or whatever. So, yeah, they hand around the, the, the Trevor Miller, the same guy who looked after Sean Ryan and DJ Shipley and Marcus Luttrell and Eddie Gallagher and all these other operators. Um, he's the same guy who looked after me. He comes around and thank you for coming and he hands you your first pill and it's a red pill. So at the end of the ceremony, he's like, all right, everyone's taking the red pill. Uh, going down the rabbit hole now. Welcome to Wonderland. About an hour later, you go upstairs in the ceremony, like you're hooked up to a heart rate monitor and you've got a paramedic and nurses all on standby looking after you and uh, off your journey goes. And you started this uh, about 18 to 20-hour trip basically where your mind and what this stuff does, it, it, it disrupts your default mode network in your brain. So as we grow up and through experiences and that sort of stuff, you you form all these um, shortcuts in your brain for how you're dealing with something. So when you look at like PTSD, that's all about fight and flight. You know, quite often you want to you want to fight. Yeah, that's what we've been trained to do. We've been trained to fight. You don't want to run away. Um, but that conflicts with, say, if you're getting shitty at your kids, you can't just fight your kids. So you get shitty and you get angry, you know, and you hold on to that. So what this stuff does, this Ibogaine does, it disrupts all of that and improves like your decision-making capabilities and all this sort of stuff along with a heap of other shit. So, yeah, that goes to the first night and, um, yeah, it, it's a lot. Like you're not really awake, you're not really asleep, you, you, you kind of feel like your mind's been, it's almost like a defrag for your, that you do on your, on your computer but it's like doing it for your mind and you're reliving traumatic things like i remember watching again um the the ramp ceremony and the funeral for maddie lambert but looking at as like an an objective point of view without all the emotion attached to it so it wasn't upsetting you could just i could see like fabs and curls i could see them both crying and instead of being upset and sad i was like it's just so beautiful these guys could do this thing for their friend you know, it's 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 really fucking unreal. This Ibogaine shit. Um, so that leads into the the grey day. They call it the grey day, the day you recover after the Ibogaine, and they kind of leave you alone to sort of 
get your bearings again and you, you kind of you're knocked around it's almost like a big night on the piss but no hangover and no buzz you're just on this epic epic journey introspective journey within yourself so that's the first day of the, of the first medicine that we did um the next day is the gray day day off then the next day um we're doing yoga you're doing a bit of stretching a bit of mindfulness activities uh, then you come in together again in the afternoon and Trevor's given us, a, you know, we're all sharing our experiences from Ibogaine and everyone's different. Everyone's experiences from this medicine is, is all different. Uh, so we're all sharing our experiences and then uh, Trevor starts talking about this 5-MeO-DMT. <clears throat> now, this stuff, 5-MeO-DMT uh, is the venom out of a Sonoran desert toad. <laughs> so, so, who was the first bloke to lick that toad? <laughs> this is this is, oh, this is yeah, it's the same. <laughs> and uh, reading about it before, because I did a lot of research on it before. Obviously, I, I just went and did it. Um, but reading about like, fuck, who who thinks they're doing this? Like, I'm going to pick that frog up and just. Lick Just it. fucking give it a lick. Like, <laughs> who, who, what, yeah. But anyway, it's fine. Some army bloke. Some yeah, 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 yeah. Some yeah, infantry exactly. bloke from the Romans. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to just go fucking lick this motherfucker. Or, or it's one of those things like, you know, yeah, one dig talking to another like, hey, man, give you, you 10 bucks to lick this frog. <laughs> 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 don't don't be a weak cunt. Lick the frog. <laughs> Some lid has been bullied by his troop corporal or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so they're giving us this break, like giving us the information. It's five meo, and the the advice that Trevor gives even today, it, it stuck with me because he's like, look, when you experience this five meo, um, you're gonna feel a lot of different things. You know, you might feel like you want to explode, just explode. You know, you might feel like you want to die just die and like look around the room and like the green beret with these 14 tours and the two night stalkers are like what the fuck man like <laughs> and then he's like so who wants to go first and they're like oh i mean fuck it i'll go first because like part of the, the thing is like if you take this shit um some guys scream and like carry on you know and i said if i hear people screaming or whatever else i'm gonna talk myself out of it and i've come a long mm. way I haven't come all this way to not do it. So, fuck it, I'll go first. So, yeah, all these big, tough, hard guys and the little Aussie dig from the Australian Cavalry goes first. Um, and uh, so off I go and he, he gets it all ready and he's all right, we're going to do this, it's going to look like that, blah, blah, blah. Right, okay, cool. He gets it ready, prepares it, gets it going and um, he's all right, now breathe in. <clears throat> it's like a vaporizer. It's and not an actual frog. No, 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 I don't, like, here's your frog, you know. You'd lick. <laughs> lick it. <laughs> no, so what they do, like, traditionally they would, like, harvest the venom from the toad, they dry it on glass, then they scrape the dried shit off into a powder. Um, but now they're using, like, a more a synthetic version of this stuff, so it's a bit more ethical towards these toads. Um, so, yeah, it gets this shit going and deep breath in. He goes, all right, I'm going to, he goes, I want you to, to breathe in for a count of 20, like, Okay, uh, 20 seconds is a long time to breathe in, you know. So I do it and 
Uh, he goes, all right, hold for 10 seconds. We count down. And at the end of, and we get to a one, I want you to exhale and you'll be right. And like, okay. And you sit on this buddy mattress. I got my pillow behind me. Big deep breath in and I'm holding it. And I can feel like the tips of my toes start to tingle. I'm like, holy shit. And I finally get to one exhale and it feels like I'm on the nose cone of a rocket and I'm just being sent into space. Like, it's fucking go, go time. And I'm just like, holy shit. And you got a mask on. So, same with the Ibogaine, you wear a mask. Um, just sits over your eyes like a sleep mask kind of thing. It's got the eyes cut out underneath it. And um, so that you can have your eyes open underneath because psychedelics like a blank canvas, like these medicines like a blank canvas in the dark. Works better apparently. So, yeah, we, we, we're going along like it's it's all like I'm seeing like bursts of colour and this sort of shit, super visual, almost like kaleidoscope and so, like just super euphoric. And then I throw up. Like this shit just makes me crook. I can have a spew. I roll back. And I'm just like, uh, and then I just feel like all this pain and hurt and sadness that I've caused everyone in my life. I feel it all the same, all at once. And I start crying. And it's like heavy, deep, sobbing, release crying. And it goes like that for the next 10 minutes. And and I'm seeing visuals of me like on my knees in the dark. And next thing I know, like my kids come out of the dark and they hug me. And then my wife, my parents, my my mates, my family, and just person on person on person on person on person come and hug me. And like you're getting these different messages and that sort of shit as you go and having this huge release, this huge emotional dump. And by the end of it, and the whole thing only goes for like 25 minutes, half an hour, all this shit's happening in your mind. And, yeah, afterwards, it's like, you know, I, I said before, like, I, I was looking at all these jobs to take me away from home. But afterward, all I wanted to do was be at home. I just wanted to be with my wife. I wanted to be with my kids. I've never loved my kids and my wife more than what I did since that day. It's just, it's absolutely unreal. Absolutely unreal. And now it's, you know, then afterward, that night, you know, after everyone, it goes to medicine, that 5-MEO, because you go in one by one. It's not like a big group kind of activity like the, the, the Ibogaine was. Um, afterward, you're congregated downstairs and the chef said, you know, the whole time you're there, you, you, you want for nothing. You know, they're, they're awesome chefs here. They cook for you. Everything's made fresh in-house. You eat like a king. You sleep like a king. Um, your laundry's done for you. Everything's you're sorted. Um, yeah, afterward, everyone's done. You know, we're doing a bit of a debrief. How did everyone find that? It was like, fuck, that was cosmic. That was next level. And um, so Trevor goes, all right, cool. Let's get some tacos. <laughs> <laughs> it's Taco Thursday. We're like, fucking right, let's send it. So, yeah, tacos and debrief and everyone's happier, like in, the, in their face. Everyone is just elevated like 15 times. It's like. Everyone who was there and underwent the Ibogaine and the 5-MeO DMT, it's it's just like everyone's just done like 50 years of therapy in the space of five days. 
and you can see it in photos from like before I went and since I've gotten back, like you see it in people's eyes and in their face. It's like there's just life there. And then, um, yeah, you get driven back over the border and let go again after five days. And not one person who's done this stuff that's been sent there by vets like they've had no negative reports afterward. Everyone's gone, come back and gone, I fucking needed that. Everyone who's deployed or been a member of the military needs this shit. Everyone, there's not one person alive who could benefit from these medicines. So, yeah, came when, home. When was, when was this? What year? It was October. Was it? October last year. Last, sorry, last year. That's right. Yeah. So Literally 12 months ago. How, uh, so let's just break a couple of things down. Yeah. Uh, cost? So it is expensive, okay? Mm. There's a therapy alone, that five days, uh, it's set, no, five and a half thousand US. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's you know, seven, eight thousand Australian. You got your flights there and back, it's about two and a half, three. Then accommodation on either side will probably put you about maybe a grand. So you're looking about 12, 13 grand all up to get you there and get you back. Yep. Five days and I guess, I don't know, five-star review. What, what, what are we giving it? Like how has it affected you like now? Like, are so, you still, like are you, I used to, to be super so, angry. No, you're yep, right. Yep, yep. No, you're right, mate. Yeah, I, that's what I was just bringing up. Like, So I used to be your, super your mindset, reactive. Yeah, your mindset was fucked. Now, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I used yeah. to be super, super, super reactive, like fucking thermonuclear reactive. Kids mm. fucked up, step out of place, I'd fucking snap, rip their head off. Um, I don't do that anymore. Like I didn't go over there with an alcohol problem uh, by any means, but booze made my anger worse. So like almost as like a side positive, I quit drinking. Like I, I just I don't I don't react anymore. I don't I'm not super angry anymore. I don't react the way I used to. I don't um my memory's improved. Like I, I used to it used to be really bad. Like I walked from you no know, my driveway out to the back of my house to get a tool into my shed and I'd forget what tool I needed in the shed. That hasn't happened since. Like my cognitive function is better, my memory is better, my um my overall general outlook on life is so much better. And even to the point where walking around San Diego, so I took a couple of days afterward to sort of just chill out and let everything kind of settle in before flying home. Like I went over to Coronado, to the beach at Coronado, and like I got to see where, not in person, but I got to see the beach where they do buds where Navy SEALs are made. And I was like, fuck, that's the buds compound. That's fucking rad. Um you know, but walking around like everything is bright and color, like colors just are so much more vibrant, you know. And I, I hit Trevor up, I sent him a message like, is this normal? And he said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, what this stuff does is cleans your glass. So you think about you walk around through life like and there's this glass in front of you in your eyes, think of it like a windshield. And as you drive or as you walk around, Shit hits your glass, gets dirtier and dirtier. And what this shit does is cleans your glass. So it's like, fuck, right. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. So yeah, super unreactive anymore. 
I'm a lot more thoughtful with how I interact with my wife and my kids. I'm just not the the rage monster I used to be at all. And thanks to these medicines, thanks to Trevor and his team. And the fact that we now in Australia have psilocybin, which is your magic mushrooms that you mentioned, mm, and yeah. MDMA available in therapeutic sessions is just fucking phenomenal. It's absolutely awesome. Mm. And even now, like my psychiatrist sent me an email this morning saying, hey, check this out. And Monash University doing clinical trials for veterans of PTSD um, and MDMA and 5-MeO-DMT. So if you live in Victoria and you want to get, get on these trials with psychedelics, fucking get onto it. Yeah. It'll change, it'll change your life. You'll get yeah. your life back. Yeah, that's, that's fucking wild. It's, it's, it's really good to see that they're trialing stuff at least. Don't have to go to a, a dance festival anymore to get ma- magic mushrooms. You can, yeah. <laughs> mate. Um, what was that? Uh, what was that US company called? Like, if if there are people out there that can't fucking wait and you know need a you know I guess try something so now. The, the, what's the what's the deal? So a really good place to start looking if you if you're really considering this sort of stuff is I, w- I would recommend listening to episode 24 and episode 30 of the Sean Ryan show as a start. Mm-hmm. Then get on to Vets. You can find them on Instagram or, or if you Google search Marcus Capone Vets. You know, there's a ton of information around psychedelic therapy on there. Um, but the the place that I went to uh, is run by. The absolute champion of humanity, uh, Trevor Miller, a Canadian fella, and he runs MBO Life Sciences. So, yeah, he's the one who looks after a lot of the guys that vets send down there to, to, to go undergo the medicines, get the treatment, get the good shit. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think I listened to a podcast the other week, Huberman Lab. Yeah, psilocybin, and it was actually really, really informative. I didn't really yep. know too much about it until I listened to it. I'm like, holy fuck, that's he, you know, he's he's a smart dude, <laughs> knows his shit. So yeah, man, yeah, definitely. I think for the listeners, definitely jump onto the Huberman Lab if you want to learn a bit, a little bit about the psilocybin uh, episode. I don't even he doesn't do episodes. It's just eighth of May it was. Mm. Definitely check it out. But uh, mate, yeah, fucking wild. That's. I think you're the second person I've had on that's uh, been through those trials. Um, Kagan Gill, the FA yeah. pilot in the US. Yeah, he, he did the on the mushrooms things. Yeah, he, he was on the, on the magic mushrooms, and and he swears by it. Still, yeah. still does it. But uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Again, it's a, a whole new concept, especially uh, for defence and you know uh, first responders that. Uh, it's great to see that the the government's taking it on board as well, and uh, it's awesome it as well. Like, and- like Australia is the first country in the world that's mm. like, like made this stuff lawful for therapeutic means. I think that's just fucking awesome. It's wild, like, yeah, it's great. It's it's fucking brilliant, and I mean, it does sound weird. And you, you want me to do mushrooms to feel better? You want me to do MDMA? Isn't that ecstasy to feel better? Like it mm. sounds weird. It sounds cooked, but. Fuck man, it works. It fucking works. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You want me to do MDMA legally? This is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we just got to get yeah. DVA on board and defund that sort of shit. Like yeah. I, I did make a submission to the um, to the Commission. to the Royal Commission about it, 
I uh, didn't really hear much back, and that's okay. It's wrapping up, and I didn't expect too much from it anyway. Um, but if DVA, I mean, the way I look at it, if you say DVA puts up fifteen grand to send a veteran to Tijuana and back to undergo these medicines, and that guy yeah. gets back on his life, that's someone that's not a not a burden, but that's that that person's off like the pension list. Do you know anyone else? in your space or even here in Australia that's done any of this stuff? No. I know a couple yeah. of guys that have done like mushrooms and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, like off the books. But <laughs> as far as I know, I'm the only Australian veteran that's been over there and done. And you heard nothing back, from Rock, nothing back from Rock. I had like a, a very cursory like, oh, yeah, thanks for that, you know. Yeah, just a under, under advising. Like, yeah, that's okay. But, um, yeah. Was it, a, was, was it a big submission? Yeah, I sent like I got my journal that I, I kept for my entire time I was over yeah. there and then that sort of thing. Let me make some. Uh, oh, us up with Nick. So, <laughs> yeah, I've got a contact Nick, so I'll because uh, I'd love to sure submissions end in uh, three, two days, three days. So if there's any, well, fuck, by the time his body's out, submissions are in. Let me uh, let me fucking send an email with your name and details and yeah, see if they too easy that submission and. Because yeah, this it, it needs to be heard. Yeah, and especially, even if like DBA don't want to send people works. to Mexico, I get that it's it's a lot and it's a long way to go. Um, well, if we're doing but, it in Australia, that's what we're doing. Yeah, so. absolutely. Like get this shit in, get ibogaine in, get five meo DMT, make it a thing, get guys in, fund their like the, the, the turnaround you will get from our veterans, and not just our veterans, you know, but you know first responders as well like it's so exactly. many people and general civilians you know traumatized by whatever N- no one person would not benefit from these medicines yeah yeah exactly and you know obviously a disclaimer out there i'm sure it works for a majority of people but there's probably people that just won't work for that's, yeah that's that's the that's the that's uh, thing about the human yeah body. that's the big thing and like, when you when you're preparing to go and do these things they tell you, like, this is not a silver bullet. You are not going to come here, be here for five days and be walk out the door and be fixed. You still have to do the work on you and integrate all these things that you've learned and all these lessons that you've taken away. You've still got to make the best of it. You've got to integrate. You keep doing your journaling, keep physically active, keep meditating, keep doing your breath work, keep, keep doing all these mindful things and you'll be okay in the end. But this, these Ibogaines, these Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, you know, they are like a lightning rod catalyst to fucking get you over the line. Yeah. Fuck. Well, mate. Uh, again, definitely for the listeners, if you're interested, definitely either reach out or uh, do your own research. Do some yep. research and check it out. Uh, mate, we've been chatting for a couple of hours now and it's been absolutely fucking wild. Uh, to hear your story, both in the army and as a cop, and you know the the mischief you got up to after knocking off a hundred dollar note. <laughs> prosecutors trying to fucking throw you on the slammer for three years, and <laughs> fucking wild mate. And then obviously again heading to Mexico and getting on the on the gear, the legal, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say legal, but getting on the gear and fuck changing your life it, it yeah. it's worked for you and changed your life mate so it's it's really you know we, we we've been speaking for a while now and you, you spoke about it you know i think i saw I saw a bit of stuff on your instagram yeah 
uh, when, when you were heading over there and going through it. So, mate, it's great to great to hear an actual uh, living, I guess, uh, test rat has uh, <laughs> done it, and it's fucking and it's done its job, which is which is great to hear. Yeah, so, absolutely. Mate, couple of final questions. Ah, yeah. Yeah, mate. First question: What advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on, complete any goal you they set their mind to, and just to crush it in life, mate? Look, a goal is a great thing to have. It's going to stay a goal until you just fucking have a crack. Like, just have a go. Hook in. Just give it a go. I knew nothing about businesses or business administration. Nothing until I started and learned as I go. Um, First of all, I mean, there's a couple of things like little sort of sayings that I kind of live by. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. If you doesn't matter if you win, if you win, great. If you don't, you'll learn something. So win or learn, you'll never lose. Uh, and the other one that I sort of hang my hat on is, um, look, everything's going to be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Just fucking keep going. There's there's more to do. Yeah, Keep working exactly. the problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you only get one shot at this life. Yep. And uh, just you know, just figure out yeah. a way. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, get get past those adversities, mate. Uh, second question: What is the plans for the future now? Again, let's go back to zero dark. Start <laughs> zero dark. And what else? What else are you doing? So zero dark started as like a. Um, uh, it, it's a, it's a print on demand drop shipping. It was a drop shipping business. I've since sort of closed the doors, and now it's just a social media following. I just sort of share funny, twisted things that I've come across on the internet. Um, uh, so at the moment, I've just started uh, a degree at university. So doing my nurse, going to do. I'm um, hopefully you know, all things going well. Be a registered nurse in a couple of years. Um. And the intent is to get that degree and then go to Mind Medicine Australia and become a certified uh, physical, uh, not physical, uh, a certified um, psychedelic therapy. Yeah, to be able to provide psychedelic therapy for people. So, end state, long term, is uh, I'll hopefully be able to be paid by DVA or NDIS to be a professional trip sitter for people, for veterans, for first responders, and everyone else. So look after people while they get their own head sorted out using mushrooms or 5-MeO or MBMA. So that's that's the goal sort of long-term, but I've got to get through this whole university thing, which is a bit of a, <laughs> it's a weird place, my friend. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome, man. That's, that's great. Great to hear. And, uh, mate, third question. Now tell us something about you that uh, – People don't know about you, you know, guilty obsession. Ooh. You're like those sucking toes or something, can't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Well, not – oh, fuck. Well, no one really knows this. Um, it's not an obsession. It's not something I, I do often. I mean, if there's something I do often, I love like a good clip about, you know, Karens getting owned or <laughs> – uh, or like protesters being dragged off by members of the public. I just fucking love that. Um, but no, something people don't know about me. I don't even think, I don't even know if my wife knows this. Um, so during that recruiting process, it was taking years and years and I got told no. 
I, I, I told myself I was going to join a military. I don't care whose. And I reached out. I was got the ball rolling with um, the United States Marine Corps. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were okay with it. They're like, fuck, yeah, come on down. So uh, quite often uh, during that time in my life, I would disappear from home for like a whole weekend because I'd be out with my mates, staying at their house, boozing on, crashing, whatever. Um, so I told my mum and dad, yeah, I'm just going to my mate's place for the weekend. See you later. And I'd actually gone to Canberra to the American embassy and had an interview and started the process to join the Marines. Um, and as it was, my peer was in in with recruiting and recruiting picked me up. And so I rang the embassy and said, look, don't worry about this whole thing. I've been picked up. They're like, okay, cool. No worries. Good luck with your career and all the rest of it. So as things had not turned out, I could very well be living in the States right now. Yeah. Or killed in fucking Helmand Province or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's (laughs) fucking, yeah, in fucking Mosul or somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, because they were screaming for, well, were they going to, Extradite the the green card process. Yeah, that was the deal. You you got a green card out of it, and you know, oh. obviously the things that go with that. I don't know if the the the, the GI bill was going to be available, but yeah, my whole thing was I was yeah. going to join an army, and I didn't care whose. So yeah, I'd reached I'd reached out to the UK, and I'd reached out to I didn't reach out to New Zealand because they weren't paying that well. Um, but I knew like the Marines was fucking good to go, and they were they were ramping it up in Iraq and and Afghan. They they were screaming for dudes and, yeah, the internet said uh, to their recruiting website they'll take international recruits. So I chucked in and, yeah, got the ball rolling and nearly, very nearly went. Yeah, right. Mate, uh, fourth question, favourite movie, TV show? I'll give you one of each for yep, military yep. and policing. All right, so... Military favorite military TV show Generation Kill. From yeah, that was the, fucking that was the bee's knees back in the day, and only because, and, and it's the same reason for all the ones, all the all the answers I'll give you for this. They get the dynamics right, I think, between the teams. Mm. I think they get like that interactive, like how the guys talk to each other. I think they nailed yeah. that. Um, obviously, I can't speak to what the combat was like during the invasion of Iraq in 2003, but it looked pretty fucking gnarly. Uh, favorite military movie, Fury, Brad Pitt. Yeah, Best job I ever had. Yeah, again, ag- again, again, because they got those crew dynamics fucking on point when they're talking about, would you let Hitler fuck you for a chocolate bar or something like that? Like, like yes. all that, that stupid <laughs> gobbing off yeah. that happens in every armored crew anywhere ever <laughs> they all do it and like to the point where if you don't have much to do with armored crews or you don't spend time in the back of bushmasters or apcs or whatever and you get in there and you hear it for the first time like <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you guys oh, no. what is wrong yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, there was one a couple of years ago when i was in uh, in iraq uh, in the PSD, one of them was, <laughs> would you would you yeah. rather take a twelve yeah. inch dick, yeah, or would you rather take a thousand micro penises? Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly it. <laughs> you know, what it's I mean, exactly bro? the conversations <laughs> I'm talking about. Exactly it. Um, <laughs> policing, all right. Oh, favorite policing movie is got to be End of Watch. They nail that. Yeah, um, yeah that with Jake Jake Gyllenhaal uh, and yep. TV show Southland. 
It's gritty. It's oh, fucking brutal. But yeah. Get onto it. There's five seasons of it and it's fucking grouse. Gunfights and all sorts of shit. It's gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, awesome, mate. Mate, um, now people want to get in contact with you. They can find you on socials. Yeah, I think it's Zero Dark Established 2021 or something like that on Instagram. Um, yeah, there's not a shop there to buy anything, but if you want to reach out and want to know more about going to Tijuana and getting your head sorted out, fucking blowing your not, you know, not blowing your brains out, but getting your getting I mean, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I mean, like during my research for it, like I listened to a ton of interviews with Marcus Capone, and he described Ibogaine as the nuclear option. So, I mean, take with that what you will it's it's fucking powerful shit and it will sort yeah. you out yeah yeah right that's awesome mate yeah so i'm, I'm actually i'm heading to tijuana in uh, january nah not for fucking hey not for magic mushrooms extend your trip buddy <laughs> i'll put you in touch yeah. with trevor <laughs> yeah fuck I'll, I'll be uh partying too much i think uh, now yeah fuck <laughs> the last time i went to tijuana was fuck we got pulled over by Mexican police and everything else. No. <laughs> That's not what you want to be pulled up by coppers, man. <laughs> no. Mates, uh, again, really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, mate, because it's been absolutely hectic. Again, I, I love hearing the transition stories from, you know, the, the the military through to cops. A lot of, a lot of guys did it. And you break down and then the fix, you know, you're one of the lucky ones that had a fix. You know, yeah. It was – there's a lot of guys that obviously you haven't, you know, they, they've taken yeah. their lives. And I know there was a cop only a couple of weeks ago, yeah. multiple cops over the last couple of weeks. Only I went down to Police Remembrance Day uh, down in Canberra. Yeah, week. the heart to heart. Yeah. yeah, I saw that kicked yeah, off. Yeah, heart to heart. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it's it's wild to see that cops don't get the recognition, you know, as what they should do, especially when it comes to suicides, because it's, it's, it's almost a weekly event now. Yeah, it's, look, I think it's, um, it's on the it's on the rise. You know, I think defence has come a really long way in looking after mm. its people from its mental health perspective. Uh, but the emergency services, they got a hell of a long way to go to look after their people. You know, stop stop managing people, start leading people. Um, you know, I talk to my mates who are still in, and the people leaving the certainly leaving the job in droves because they've just had a gutful. Yeah, yeah, leave, they've had a gutful. Like I. Personally, think they should be switching focus to first responders. Mm. Um, you know, look at the military. We're 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 done for wars. We're done for not to say you can't get PTSD from you know just being a domestic. Oh, sure, soldier, yeah. which you certainly can. But you know the the effects of war is is over. Yeah, and as you said earlier, cops are on operations every fucking day. Every day they're on operations, so I'm I'm hoping they somewhat I wouldn't say switch focus to the first responders. Start something for these fucking motherfuckers. Yeah, they're out there every single day dealing with the fucking shit, and yeah, our government's uh, too busy focusing on other shit right now, as we know. Yes, yep. Know. yep, yep. It's Which it's by the sad time to this see. Podcast comes out, there will be a decision. But yeah, other things. You know, there's a lot of other things that they're focusing on that shouldn't be. They should be focusing on on the people that keep us uh, safe and alive every single day. So hopefully, we can there can be a change. But mate, yeah, again, agree. really appreciate you sharing your story. Hopefully, it helps someone. 
And, mate, hopefully you become one of these uh, magic mushroom dealers one day and we'll come in and... Well, I, uh, I, I jokingly say to my neighbour, she's a paramedic, she just spent 12 months in Canada and over there, like, weed's good to go and you can get psychedelics delivered to your door. And so, like, we've, we've jokingly said, you know, when they drop the bar with the... the or drop the criminalisation around cannabis here, we'll open a shop. Like, yeah, fuck it, yeah, that'd be myth. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, yeah, I'll be a uh, professional trip setter and we can just look after people with cannabis and psychedelics and we won't need all this antidepressant shit anymore. The big farmers yeah. shoving down our throat. Yeah. That's, well, when you do one day, mate, I'm going to come dressed mate. as a hippie too. Just, <laughs> just Mate, if you don't come dressed, I'll have the hippie stuff for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mate, again, really appreciate you and, uh, yeah, we'll stay in contact. Yeah, for sure, mate. No, thanks for having on. Really appreciate it. Easy, dude. Chat soon. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. (laughs) However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is – forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.